morning, dear listener. This is Ian Lee with your BBC Three Counties Breakfast Show. It's Friday. It's the weekend. I cannot tell you how excited I am. Except the fact that my little boy's got chicken pox, so he's spending most of the weekend rubbing cream on his back. Excellent. On today's show, well, it's an odd mix of things, I'll be honest. Snails, parking, and Olympic apathy. We are covering them all and more. And if you've got a view on any of these stories or anything we're talking about this morning, do give me a call. 08459 455 555. You can also text me as well if you want. 81333. Start your text 3CR. It'd be very nice to hear from you this morning. It's where it's miserable out there. That's why we've sent Justin Dealey out. Ha, ha, ha. We'll find out where he is in just a few minutes' time. This is Ian Lee. Good morning. It's nearly five minutes past six. Call 08459-455-555. BBC Three Counties Radio. What a quiet start to a song. Kelly Clarkson, a dark side. She doesn't tell us what a dark side is. Uh, I'll be keen to find out. Uh, good morning, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. You can give me a call 08459 455 555. Uh, now, over the past week, we've been wondering why the signs warning drivers about delays during the Love Luton Festival have been left switched on. This is from a text that we got from Mandy and Luton, who uh, I have now made our signs correspondent. I don't. It's, it's not necessarily an official title, but it's as, it's as official as I can be. Uh, the signs were placed all along the major routes into the town, We've sent our reporter, Justin Dealey, back to one this morning. Good morning, Justin. Oh, Mandy. We like Mandy, don't we, Ian? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we do like Mandy. Yes, yes, we do. Although she does send you... It's because of her that you're standing out in what I'm imagining is quite a grim morning. Uh, yeah, pretty grim, actually. Um, the, the sky's in Luton this morning, pretty grey. We had some sunshine a few moments ago. It's going to be uh, <laughs> an OK day, so I'm told. What so, we need to do is we need to get Mandy in Luton to come out with you one morning and, and do one of these reports, I think. I think so, but she'll have to wear a tight leather jacket and some uh, rather strange shoes that I wear as well. If she's oh. willing to do that, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm up for it. So you're describing some kind of fetish we're at the moment. I don't know if you can say the word fetish at ten past six on a BBC breakfast station. We've done it anyway. Uh, where exactly are you, Justin? Um, I'm standing by the M1, Junction 10, which is uh, where one of these big signs was. And you want to know, Ian, don't you? Uh, the sign after a week, has this neon sign or been off. turned on? On or off. off? It was on yesterday. Is it on or off today, oh, Justin? Dear. Is it on or off? I just couldn't sleep with anticipation <laughs> last night. It was exciting me so much um on the way to work this morning and now i can tell you the sign has officially have you got a drum roll there i've got i've got justin's uh, i've got jonathan's uh, horn so I, I can play that if it's good news <laughs> don't tell him okay we'll, we'll keep it our little secret i can now officially say the sign here by junction 10 yes. of the m1 yes has been turned off right don't no one tell just, uh, Jonathan I've played this because JVS will go will actually give me a right royal telling off if he finds out I've been using his sound effects so don't so, well that's fantastic so they mm. turned it off it only took like four or five days to do it this, are the signs still there though? Uh, the sign is still here it's one of these mobile signs right. uh, funny enough I saw one yesterday I was driving over to Matchadham in Hertfordshire yesterday and uh, I saw one just outside uh, Hatfield so 
they are mobile signs. Right. The mobile sign is still there. We, we believe it's, it's run on solar powers or, or something like that. But um, I can tell you right now, it is definitely off. That's <laughs> the situation here. I don't know about the A6, but it's off here, man. I like the way you say solar powers or something <laughs> like that. Like that's some kind of weird futuristic science well, that you it, don't quite believe in. It is to me. Well, it's, in saying that, in Luton, certain parts of Luton, you go down yeah. certain roads, and um, a lot of people have got solar power on their roof. Quite a lot of people. Yeah, here. some people have got the internet as well, Justin. Know, you should check that out. And a mobile phone, I believe. <laughs> so the council have gone down, they pressed the off switch, and uh, we have no evidence to back this up, but uh, Justin, I'm saying it's all because of you. They were listening to you, and they, they got scared. Quite so possibly. well done. I mean, it, it, to be fair, yesterday morning it was a quality broadcast at five minutes past six in the morning by the M1. I can only presume that that they may maybe have heard that, well, uh, maybe have heard about Mandy as well. Let's just and say, I believe that and turned them off. I believe yesterday's um, portion of the show with you stood by that road has been clipped mm. and has already been sent to the Sony Award uh, <laughs> nominations. And, and so fingers crossed, fingers yes. crossed. The weather's going to be quite nice on Sunday, apparently, but it, it's grim there now. Is it? It's not looking good. Well, do you know what? You can probably hear that aeroplane in the sky right yep, now going yep. above me. That's going somewhere nicer. Uh, than Luton today because at the moment it is pretty cold. It's almost like a March morning here, Ian. It's yep. um, pretty cold. Uh, yeah, as you say, we, we believe Sunday is going to pick up. I think the top temperature for today is still only going to be 18 degrees Celsius, which for this time of the year Wonderful. is pathetic. Uh, Justin, I know you're off all over the area this morning, so go. Thank you, Ian. Ta-ta. There we go. Justin Daly, who who's, can turn his hand to pretty much anything. Slow news day? Come on. Of course not. Uh, now, listen, very quickly, I'm going to go off on a tangent, and you, you shouldn't really use um, uh, broadcasting for your own personal game, but I need to. I did mention at the top of the show that my little boy, two and a half, he's got um, chicken pox. And he's kind of, it, it's only sort of day two, and he's at the stage where it's like, oh, look, I've got spots on me, it's fun, and we're putting gel and kind of cream on him, not the calamine, because that stuff, I, I remember having calamine lotion as a boy, and it cools you for about three minutes, and then it dries, and then suddenly you're itchy with spots, and you've got dry cream all over you, that, that's no good at all. So we've got all these creams on, and we were having fun putting the creams on last night, and he thought it was hilarious and stuff like that. But I know that probably tomorrow and for a while, it's going to get quite unpleasant, and it's going to be hard work for everybody involved, him, me, and uh, my wife. So what I need is I need some tips on how we can get through this and we can make it as, as painless as possible for everybody. I was talking to my sister about this, who's got slightly older children than me, and she mentioned, uh, she said, oh, you should, you should give him a porridge bath. A what? A porridge bath? Is this true, or is she winding me up, trying to make me look like an idiot? Have you ever given your kids a porridge bath to, to help with the chicken? But what do you do? Do you just put some ready brack in a bath and mix it up? Is that what it is? I don't understand. And this is genuine. 08459 455 555. I know we've got lots of mums and lots of grandmas out there listening to this this morning. I kind of need your old wives' tips. Not calling you an old wife. That would be rude. I, I barely know you. But I need your tips on how to get round this. Because I, I think with something like chicken pox, the old remedies are the best, aren't they? They're, they are genuinely the ones that work the best. So if you've got any tips at all, on how we can ease my boy so he doesn't suffer too much. And how we can ease my weekend, because it's been a tough week. I've worked four, four days, uh, and it would be nice to kind of have a relaxing weekend. So any tips you've got, you can either text those in 
81333, starting your text 3CR. Or you can give me a call, 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. While I'm waiting for your words of wisdom, let's get the latest travel news now with Sophie Tyler. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. A murder inquiry has been launched following the death of a man in Hatfield on Wednesday night. Police were called to the house late on Wednesday evening where they found a man suffering from serious injuries. Detectives from Bedfordshire, Cambridgeshire and Hertfordshire major crime units now want to establish the events leading up to the time of his death. A couple from a Bedfordshire travelling family are in jail this morning after being convicted of holding two men in servitude and making them carry out forced labour. 34-year-old James John Connors is serving 11 years, while his wife, 31-year-old Josie, has been jailed for four. In sport, British riders Bradley Wiggins and Chris Froome occupy the top two places in the Tour de France after an excellent day for Team Sky on stage 11 in the Alps. Wiggins leads by just over two minutes from his teammate Froome after defending champion Cadell Evans uh, cracked on the final climb to slip to fourth. There'll be a full weather bulletin in just a minute. Every weekday afternoon from three... Roberto Peroni. Now, a new skate park in Milton Keynes could be closed down because it's too noisy. I just think that the people that have reported it and got it closed down, they're just making a bigger problem for themselves. Roberto Peroni. In what way? There's a group of children that go to a skate park and it makes it easy to police. She's got a point. I'm a clever kid. Roberto Peroni. Weekdays from three on BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. I warn you, it's going to be an odd one today. Uh, and, and here it comes. Walkers in the three counties are being asked to keep their eyes out for Roman snails. Yeah, they're the ones wearing togas. I thank you. Elsewhere in the country, number of the snails have dropped by 70%. Who counts them? Who are the people that count these? It's believed that people are taking them home <clears throat> and eating them. Our reporter, Serena Farrow, has been for a stroll in the Buckinghamshire, Buckinghamshire countryside to find out if snails are being poached there. Oh, well, I'm Jean Bamford, the chairman of the Amersham Group of the Ramblers. We walk all over the Chilterns. And have you ever come across these, what they call in Roman snails? I have seen some, yes. I have, I'm going to tell you now, I have actually bought you a, an empty shell of one that I found on the hill, not this year, but recently just to show you how much bigger it is than an ordinary one. So we've got, we've got on, the one on the left is a, just an ordinary small ordinary, ordinary one. About the size of... Escargot size, aren't they? <laughs> which is what all the trouble is. And then the other ones, they're quite big. Yes, they are quite big. So we've got a size of, well, just about a thumbnail, and then the other one... Almost two inches across, I suppose, inch and a half at least. What's the difference then, meteor... Well, I assume so, yes. I never have been over-keen on escargot, but apparently it's quite a delicacy, isn't it? <laughs> and, they're, and they're striped, aren't they, as well? Yes, I think, if I remember, they were a bit stripy. I have seen them alive. And what do you think has caused this recession? People wanted to earn a bob or two? It might be. I think some tend to catch anything that moves, don't they, and consider it fair game, so they probably wouldn't think about not taking them decided it probably economics has got something to do with it what would one look like if you're looking at a snail well, it would look exactly like an ordinary snail but just a bit bigger right. considerably bigger and to catch them though well, the I snail think, oh, itself that'd be very easy i mean snails are notoriously oh well there we go we seem to we seem to have been let me just let me just try uh let me just try a button and see if this works i want to find out what's what's going on with these snails let me just try this 
Nope. It would appear that the Radio Man system has frozen, dear listener. Now, I don't wish to suggest sabotage. Hearts and bucks weather. There we go. BBC Three Counties Radio. Something is happening. We've hit the weather jingle. The weatherman is there, Steve Weston. We might as well find out what's happening and we'll investigate this snail sabotage a bit further. Yeah, let's Steve, do it. Sorry, Steve, to interrupt you. We're having oh, a little bit of a problem with our computer. Would you mind starting your weather bulletin again, please, sir? Oh, right. Yeah, I was going to say that um, it's very good weather for snails and slugs. It's horrible yeah, out there, isn't it? They're breeding quite well in this, yes. Mm, indeed. And there's the weather forecast from me, Steve Weston. Thank you very much, Steve. You are listening to BBC Three Counties Radio. I, I have to tell you now, this is you, one of the rules of radio. You're not really supposed to reveal what's behind the uh, the curtain, but I'm going to, dear listener. I have uh, my producer is crouched behind me with the computer that runs the entire output of this radio station, ready to switch it off and switch it on again. Yeah, that's as technical as we get here at BBC Three Counties. Uh, if this next thing doesn't work, so apologies for the uh, snail broadcast there being interrupted. Apologies to Steve for messing up his weather report. Fingers crossed, we're going to hear a song now. Let's see what happens. <laughs> mm, we could be in luck. Except it's Ronan Keating. Good morning, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Technical problems, and they're not my fault this morning. I can sleep easy. We'll get through them, don't worry. We'll struggle through together. It'll bring us closer, I think, dear listener. We'll bond over this. I've been asking for your tips on how to deal with chicken pox for my two-and-a-half-year-old boy, and the baby's going to get it as well. Uh, Sharon in Aptil says, Try asking the chemist for an antihistamine to help with the itching. And Judy says, To stop the itching of your little lad's chicken pox, I recommend Urax cream. It's wonderful for all kinds of itching, including chicken pox. These are fantastic, and thank you very much for those. What I'm really, really after is I want those kind of tips that only grandmothers can give. Do you know what I mean? Those that, my sister has suggested a porridge bath. Is that going to work, really? A, a bath of porridge? How do I do that? That just sounds insane. But often the insane ones uh, are the ones that work the best. If you've got any tips on uh, the, the, the kind of old wives' tales is what I'm after, or the, these old-fashioned tips um, that, that might help uh, a situation like this, then you can give me a call 08459. 455 555 or you can text 81333 start your text 3CR and I'm really keen I'm doing this show for the next three weeks after this and one of the things I'm keen to do while I'm doing this show is to get your voices on the radio I don't want it to be all about me because I'm boring Uh, I, I really want to get your voices on so if any of the things we talk about on this show kind of hit a nerve with you resonate with you connect in some way then pick up the phone and give me a call and come on. If it's to agree with something I've said, if it's to comment on a story, and we will be going back to those snails, don't you worry about that. Uh, or if it's to have an argument with me. I do like a good Barney first thing in the morning. I'm quite a grumpy man. So an argument really does... does, 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 does I think it's healthy for you in the morning to have an argument. Then do give me a call. 08459 455 555. This show is it's not about me. It's about you. And it's about making you part of the show so that you can come on air and have your say. That's what I want to do for the next few weeks. Hopefully you want to do the same. That's the plan. And your text as well. 81333. Should we go through the front page of the newspapers? Yes, why not? Let's have a little look and see what we've got. Maybe we'll, we'll do a brief uh, look at them now. And maybe later on we'll go through them in more detail. Um, it, it, it's kind of... Bla- I was watching the news last night with my mother-in-law. And we just kept looking at each other going, Oh my goodness. This is bleak. 
Bleak times. Front page of The Guardian. Uh, over 200 feared dead in Syrian attack. Bombardment followed by executions, say activists. Uh, and nine killed on Cursed Mountain in a deadly avalanche. Uh, the Daily Telegraph. We foiled Iranian nuclear weapons bid, says spy chief, but Middle Eastern state will achieve its goal within two years, raising prospect of military action. Um, firm at Centre of Olympic Security Shambles has seen fee rise by £53 million. So the Iranians are going to get nuclear weapons. They should be allowed them, shouldn't they? If we've got them, shouldn't they be allowed? Oh, wait, 459, 455, 555. Spongers can sue to claim benefits, says the Daily Express. Another crazy abuse of the Human Rights Act. The Times. Avalanche sweeps nine to their deaths on Cursed Mountain. Uh, an Olympic security chaos. This is the story that we touched on yesterday. I'm sure we're going to touch on this again at some point because it just gets more and more ridiculous. How do you feel about the fact that three and a half thousand soldiers are going to be patrolling the Olympics? Is that going to look good? I'm not sure if it is, really. And having those uh, air, air anti, what are they, the, the ground-to-air missiles on top of buildings, I'm not convinced. doesn't make me feel particularly safe. Uh, the Independent. Two weeks to London 2012, and Osborne's watchdog bring in migrants to cut deficit by billions. Higher levels of immigration over the next 50 years would spare taxpayers from the need to endure much greater austerity, the government fiscal watchdog has said. Um, we've got more papers. We'll do those in a few minutes, I think, because it's, uh, it'd be interesting to have a quick look at these. Oh, there's an amazing... <laughs> if, if you're near a newsagent's or a garage, go and have a look at the front page of the Daily Mirror. There's a picture... There's a picture. Let me tell you this. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. This is Ian Lee with your BBC Three Counties Breakfast. It's time now to get the latest travel news with Sophie Tyler. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, dear listener. Uh, you can give me a call anytime 08459 455 555. But any of the things we're talking about or things that you think we should be talking about. And John from Houghton Regis has done just that. Good morning, John. Uh, good morning. Well, what have you called in for, sir? Well, you talked earlier on about the security at the Olympics. This is the, the whole G4S. G- the G4S thing where we've had to the, the, get in three and a half thousand uh, soldiers, a lot of them just back from service, to help police the event. Yes. Well, my son and his mate both have got SIA licenses. What, what, can, I, can I ask? I'm, I'm an idiot. What does that mean? What, what is one of those licenses? Well, it's a security, it's a security license. You've got to go through your tests and have make sure you're accredited, etc. Thank you, yes. So they've got that. They went, must be six to eight weeks ago via A1 security, they, which is like subsidised via G4S. They handed in all their paperwork to them, their licenses, references, etc., and they say they basically got the job and they'll come back to them. Now, my son has been in contact with them numerous times. I spoke to them at G4S personally yesterday yeah. and waiting for their customer relations to come back to me to find out what's going on. My son wants a job. He has been unemployed for numerous months now. Mm. He's eager to go there. And yet I hear yesterday morning they've got 3,500 people that, that they're going to use the Defence Force. It's wasting money on something else. Wait, so when, when, did they, when did your son last speak to the company and they said that everything would be fine and he'd have a job? When was, when was that contact? Well, that was about six, about six to eight weeks ago. Oh. They needed reference. They took all the paperwork yeah. from him. They took his licence away. He's got that back, his passport, the whole, whole bag, so they could do a, uh, a reference on him, a, yeah. ch- a background check on him. And 
Well, he hasn't heard from them. It seems... It seems incredible. It, it, it would appear to me, from what you're saying and from what I was hearing on, on BBC Three Counties and Radio 4 yesterday, that G4S, have, it, it's just, they've just stretched themselves too far and they just can't cope with the size of the job. That's how it, how it appears. That's what I'm more than certain have. My son plus his mate are willing to go do the job, mm. but we're still waiting. He's unemployed. He, wants, he can't go look for another job. Yeah. Because what happens if they say, okay, we need you there tomorrow to do some training? Because I did mention to them yesterday, what about training? Surely they need specialized training for the Olympics. You would think so. Oh, we have taken, we have taken some people on already for the... The Olympics are in two weeks! I know. <laughs> <laughs> you have to laugh, John, because it's so ridiculous. And I heard um, Theresa May yesterday uh, in the, the Houses of Parliament saying, oh, we've got these soldiers in and we're going to give all of their families tickets and we're giving t- more tickets to the soldiers. That's fantastic. But you shouldn't be getting the soldiers in. The, like, there, there are boys like your son who want to work, who are ready to work, who want to not only work but kind of present their country, and they're not being allowed to do it because of incompetence. That's it. Incompetence of the hierarchy. Bless you, John. Thank you very much. What I like as well, thank you, John, uh, is that John's son is obviously a grown lad, but John's phoning up for his boy. That's what I like. John, as a dad, is phoning up for his boy and saying, come on, lads, what's going on? That is the joy of being a dad, isn't it? 08459 455 555 if you want to talk about that or anything else. We'll be talking about sat-navs versus maps in a minute after Sad Cafe. 08459 455 555. Good morning. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Breakfast. Good morning. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Breakfast. We're getting your texts on chickenpox. I know it's not a glamorous start to the day, but uh, trust me, I need as much advice as I can get. Claire and uh, Wendy will read your text out in a bit. Thank you for those. 81333. Start your text 3CR if you want to uh, take part. Now, here's something. I was thinking about this the other day, actually. Are sat-navs and digital technology killing off the traditional paper map? Over the past few years, sales of printed road atlases have fallen by 50%, and sales of A to Zs are down by 60%. You can still buy them in most petrol stations. But our reporter, Nick Hyam, looks at whether traditional maps actually have a future. Paper maps have been around for centuries. But for how much longer? And that shows the point just there, where we just picked up. A map surveyor at work with the latest digital tools near the Excel Centre in London's Docklands. Excel's an Olympic venue, and the Ordnance Surveys recently mapped it in exceptional detail because the Games organisers and the police wanted very large-scale maps. And there's also a 3D version. Unlike conventional maps, which show the world in two dimensions, the latest digital maps can show it in three. Vanessa Lawrence is the Ordnance Survey's Director-General. What you're seeing here is very much the future of mapping. This will be used by many different organisations and individuals when perhaps if you're a local community you wish to uh, discuss with the local authority whether a new building should be built. You'll be able to look at the line of sight. Will the park still have such a, a good view? Digital mapping techniques have made it possible to challenge traditional notions of what a map should be. In Lincoln's Inn Fields, in the heart of London, I was given a demonstration. This is a technology called LAYAR, running on an iPad. So these blobs represent a piece of information. So if I tap on that, it shows me that that building, the stone building in front of us there, is the Hunterian Museum. And this tells us that uh, it's got an exhibition there, The Anatomy of an Athlete. William Perrin develops websites which combine conventional maps with local information. It's a map 
with added digital extras. It's convenient, it's immediate, it's keyed directly to you and your location. And it helps you find things you wouldn't otherwise see. But underneath it, you have to do all the fundamentals of mapping. But this is the ultimate evolution. This is at the bleeding edge. New technologies generally are making maps easier to use. Continue 0.7 miles, then enter roundabout and take second exit. The ubiquity of sat-navs and smartphones that'll tell you at the press of a button where you are means that sales of conventional road atlases and A to Zs have been plummeting in recent years. So, does that mean the paper map is dead, or that we're forgetting how to read them? I can see Didcot over there. I used to live over beside there. Mary Spence says they do have a future. She's a cartographer, an enthusiast for maps who spent her life making them. We met, together with a 1 to 25,000 ordnance survey map, on a Chiltern Ridge with spectacular views of the Vale of Aylesbury. Tame is hiding over there somewhere. She says paper maps still have their place, especially for walkers. You don't need batteries, they work where there's no phone signal, and they show you the whole landscape. What's wrong with getting a piece of paper? that's the size of your desk and just looking at it, absorbing it. It doesn't have to be a walking map, any map, even a, an atlas page. You can explore. If you go into a school with children and, and take out the atlas, it's dusty on the shelf, and say to them, look at this, have you heard of this place? Have you heard of that place? They're suddenly interested. It's, it's a remarkable piece. This was Stanford's great library map of the 1850s. William Perrin doesn't just develop digital maps, he collects old ones too. Even so, he thinks the future's digital, not paper. There's a future for them as art objects, there's a great future for them as, I think, as historical objects, but the writing is on the wall for paper maps, sadly. But we shouldn't hold a wake for them, we should celebrate what they've done in the past and really seek out the new opportunities that digital mapping brings. Paper maps? No, no one uses paper maps anymore. Do, do you? You've got, you've all got sat navs. Listening to this show, you all have sat navs, and none of you use an atlas anymore. Tell me I'm right on that, please. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Time for the latest travel news with Sophie Tyler. Beds, hearts, and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. The headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. A murder inquiry has been launched following the death of a man in Hatfield on Wednesday night. Police were called to the house late on Wednesday evening where they found a man suffering from serious injuries. Detectives from Bedfordshire, Cambridgeshire and Hertfordshire major crime units now want to establish the events leading up to the time of his death. Climbers are mourning the death of an experienced British mountain guide, Roger Payne, and eight others killed in an alpine avalanche. Two more Britons were also among the dead on one of the highest peaks in France. Mr Payne was a former General Secretary of the British Mountaineering Council. In sport, British riders Bradley Wiggins and Chris Froome occupy the top two places in the Tour de France after an excellent day for Team Sky on Stage 11 in the Alps. Wiggins leads by just over two minutes from teammate Froome after defending champion Cadell Evans cracked on the final climb to slip to fourth. And your weather across beds, hearts and bucks. Rather cloudy with occasional bright spells but also scattered, slow-moving, thundery showers. Top temperatures 18 degrees Celsius. Heavy showers on Saturday but drier on Sunday. There we go, that's WAB, isn't it? Yes, wake me up before you go-go. I'm asking for your tips on how I can deal with chicken box. I've not got it, don't worry, you're safe. It's my little boy. We've got some information about the porridge bath. 
I'm looking for kind of old wives' tales. You know, the old-fashioned tips that get passed out. I, I know I can go to the chemist and get some creams and bits and pieces. We've got all of that. But I want your home treatments for it, because this weekend it's going to kick in. It was fun yesterday. He was enjoying having spots and putting the cream on, and it was all a laugh. I would guarantee by tonight, tomorrow morning, it is going to be a nightmare. 08459 455 555 is the phone number, or 81333. Start your text to 3CR now. Can you see the white lines on the streets where you live? The Road Safety Markings Association say many lines are barely visible and have now begun surveying Britain's main roads to work out which ones are the worst. Recently, the M1 through Bedfordshire was named as having particularly poor white lines. George Lee, no relation, is from the RSMA to tell us more. Good morning, George. Good morning, Ian. George, why the need for this extra big survey? Well, I think there's a lot of evidence that shows that the road markings are actually the most critical safety element of our road network. Um, And recent surveys that we've undertaken indicate that those markings are beginning to deteriorate, are not being maintained to the level that they used to be, and that may have implications for the safety of drivers and other road users. What are you expecting to find out from this? Well, I think it's important not to prejudge it, um, because I think that's the worst thing that anyone can attempt to do is actually start saying, oh, it's all, we're going to find a disaster, etc. But I think the, ter- the trends that we've seen in the recent surveys show that high levels of performance that had been found through the, 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 the uh, eight years for go four to eight do tend to be levelling off and in some areas deteriorating quite rapidly. What would better road markings do? How, how would it affect us? Well, the road markings provide lane discipline uh, for drivers. They also provide crucial cues when the when it's dark when it's wet uh, as to what position road uh, drivers should be taking on the roads so deteriorating road markings tend to lead to closer more incidents uh, more near misses possibly more accidents although there's, it's difficult to define that mm. we know for a fact that when you improve road markings uh, accidents decline on most roads because drivers respond to that constant flow of information even if it's subliminal mm. they respond to that constant flow of information so the, the risks are that we see declining quality in that safety infrastructure we see more risk for drivers here's the thing that gets me country roads we pay a lot of money to use them they're not only in a bad physical state but <coughs> there are no road, road markings or anything that's absolutely accurate because the actually the Roads where most accidents happen, and in fact most fatalities happen, are on rural, unlit roads uh, at night. And there's a direct correlation there between a lack of road marking infrastructure or poverty of road marking infrastructure and those accidents. What can people do, uh, George, if they identify bad road markings? Well, we've got uh, a couple of avenues. They can come through to your set good selves, and uh, we'd hope that you'd pass that information on to us, or they can contact us directly uh, at info at rsma.co.uk. We are collating information from drivers because they are the people that have the most experience of the the dangers on our roads. Uh, Our survey will be covering 6,000 miles through Scotland, England and Wales, uh, and we'll be publishing all that data as well on a website later in the year called comparethemarkings.com. So people can actually have a look and see how their roads are performing, um, and they can provide us with that information as well. Once all the information is collated, we'll be providing that to governments, to local authorities, uh, and also to road user groups and road safety charities so that they can press for action to be taken where it's needed. And your group think that road uh, relining should be treated as emergency repairs, don't you? 
Well, under certain circumstances, yeah. we have, there is a there is a maintenance standard for road markings, which is actually only acknowledged by central government, not by local government. Um, unfortunately, that doesn't even seem to be enforced. Um, so. We see there is a priority, there is a, a correlation that shows improved markings, reduce accidents, and with the amount of money the drivers spend through the road tax and through the, reven- the revenue duties on fuel, we believe they've probably got a right to expect they've got a safe environment to drive in, and for the relatively low cost uh, of road markings, those markings should be treated as a priority. George, thank you very much. That's George Lee from the uh, Road Safety Markings Association. If you are driving around the three counties and you spot uh, poor road marking, uh, the email address to uh, to let them know is info at rsma.co.uk. Info at rsma.co.uk. And quote the road that you found it on, obviously. Now, a couple of things we've got on the text. I have been... I'm using the BBC for my own personal gain, and uh, the, the, it's probably against the charter, but pff, the new DG isn't in yet, so I think I might just get away with it. Uh, I'm asking about uh, how I can deal... Uh, with my boy's uh, chicken pox. And I want kind of the old wives' tales, the old-fashioned cures. Uh, Claire says, Good morning. Good morning, Claire. You need to put oatmeal, not oats, in an old sock. What? And tie the top of the sock and leave it in the bath whilst you run it and for the duration of the bath. Wendy in Rickmansworth says, The porridge bath. This was mentioned to me by my sister, and I thought it was nonsense, but... Cut the leg off your wife's tights, put porridge in... Tie it under the hot tap and let the water run, th- run through it. It works. It really? Hey, if there's someone out there who's prepared to take a, a, a porridge bath this morning and call me up on air, 08459 double five. I know that's probably stretching it a little bit. Uh, and we're talking about sat-navs. Um, uh, surely all of you out there have got sat-navs. No one uses a map anymore. Turns out I'm wrong. Lucy in Luton says, Ian, I never use a sat-nav. I don't trust them. Huh? I love maps. Just looking at them and seeing where places are. <laughs> I love maps. Just looking at them and seeing where places are. You learn so much. You can't do that with a sat-nav. Listen, I'm a big fan of the Atlas. I love getting the Atlas out for the boy and we look at the world and stuff like that. But, but uh, forgetting around, I go nowhere without my hard copy, says Eric. Moving swiftly on. Uh, Dave uh, the Thatch says, I don't have a sat-nav. From the ones used with friends, they're not very good. I use maps. Really? Or do you sit there with a map and plan the journey? Um, we've got Simon from Burkhamsted. Good morning, Simon. Morning, how are you? I'm, I'm all right, Simon. What have you got for us? Really, just, just maps. Just echoing something some of your other listeners have said there. Yeah. Um, I, I travel around, all around the country. Um, I use electronic maps. I work in IT all the time. However, when you get stuck in a traffic jam and you've got your PDA on, you can't get a signal. You can't see where you are. Right. So that's why I always have an atlas chucked behind my back seat so at least I can work out where to go and try and, try and get around the traffic But jam. Simon, so an, that, atlas, that, that, that's why an Atlas gone. can be out of date. They're building new roads all of the time. No, a- absolutely. But, you know, I normally get a new Atlas every, every three or four years and if you, if you know most of the roads, you know the rough direction but it, it always helps you to see the bigger picture as to where you're going. I'm impressed. But no, I, 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 I agree that, you know, electronic maps do take over. It's brilliant when you look at Google Maps yep. you can see where you're going. Yeah. See the road you're going on, recognise it. But but otherwise, you, you you sometimes do need to rely on a bit of paper when when the when the wow. good old Google Maps fail. Simon, thank you very much for that. Only moving on to, just to get more more voices on the show. Thank you. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Really, paper maps. Good morning. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Breakfast. Coming up, we'll be talking more about snails. Don't worry, don't worry. We're not letting that story get away. It's seven o'clock. Let's get the latest news and sport now with Simon Oxley.
Thank you, Simon. Excellent work as always. And now, um, you are listening to Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Breakfast this morning, here till nine, here for the next few weeks. Hope you're enjoying it. Coming up, we've got the big story about snails. We're not letting that one escape. Roman snails are disappearing. Now, I'm a vegetarian, but even if I wasn't, I would never, ever eat a snail. Let's be honest, it's disgusting. Surely it's just a a, a joke. The French don't eat snails, do they? It's just a joke on us. I'm surprised as well by the number of listeners after our report about um, sat-navs and maps. The number of you that don't have sat-navs and you use paper maps... 08459 455 555. Would love to hear from you this morning about that and any of the other stories we're talking about. Call 08459 Two weeks ago, teenager Darren McGrath was jailed for murdering 21-year-old Billy Dove during a night out. The new charity, called Billy's Wish, aims to prevent knife crime in the future. Our reporter Justin Dealey has been speaking to Billy's dad, Paul, and charity secretary Tanya Whitney. Paul, living in Hemel Hempstead, I know the support towards yourself and the family has been incredible. You just couldn't have coped without that support, could you? Oh, it's been fantastic. Absolutely amazing. It all started really... uh down the tree on the lantern night it was phenomenal the turnout of the people of Emil that him they've been absolutely fantastic all the way through the court case the whole lot unbelievable and Billy had so many close friends how are they coping not well but they're young they've got to move on in life Billy wouldn't want them to stop where they are now it's uh, they shouldn't have to see that at that age their best mate dying uh, and they're a smashing bunch of kids every one of them he had some fantastic friends, but he wouldn't hang about with bad boys anyway. No. no. From the stories that I hear, everyone just said, you know, what a lovely guy he mm. was, a heart of gold, and that's, I suppose, but why you can never come to terms with what's happened, because he did absolutely nothing wrong. Irreplaceable. Irreplaceable. Didn't bring me any problems in 21 years. Not at all. And I mean that as well. He was a good kid. I have been looking at the website, Paul, and there's some brilliant photographs of Billy on there. He was a very handsome man, so I presume that the ladies of Hemel Hempstead absolutely loved him, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, the, the girls did like him. Do you know what I mean? He was a tiny little fellow at school, and uh, the last couple of years he, they, he just had to fight him off him, didn't he? Women all over him. <laughs> know where he got that from. <laughs> <laughs> you maybe, you maybe. No, 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 no. <laughs> Runs in the family. No, he used to. <laughs> Setting up this charity, is it, is it the best thing for you right now with the grieving process? It's a big help, a big help. I couldn't have done it without these three in this room. They're the, they're the backbone of it. I'm, I've got my football team up and running now, and that's one get me head out of it. But Dubs United, set up by all his friends. So that's the big plus for me. I'm now going to bring Tanya Whitney into the conversation. Tanya, you're the secretary of the charity. It's all about raising awareness of knife crime and prevention. And you've got this very interesting idea of implementing a three-tier knife education programme into schools in Hemel potentially the whole of Hertfordshire. So how would this three-tier programme work? Yeah, it's, um, it's based on the arson programme that's run by the Fire Brigade. And the Fire Brigade um, have a theory, and this theory works, 
is that you have to tell children three times as they grow through their teenage years um, about arson and it prevents it. And, I mean, I don't know the actual um, statistic, but it's phenomenal. It's something like 99%. And that's where the concept came from. And we've been working with the local police and key influential people within the education system within Hot, well, within Hemel, we was brainstorming different ideas and we came up with the three-tier plan and it's aimed at year six, year seven and year nine. Year six is obviously the year of when the child, you know, is last year of primary school. And at first there was a bit of resistance, if I'm being honest, probably a bit from the police. They felt that the, the children may not be old enough to learn about this information. So we had um, some, somebody within um, within the education system reached out to the parents to ask them what their thoughts were, and it was very um, it was very positive. And what came back was that they need to know um, they need to be aware of knife crime within that last year of primary school. So when they go to secondary school, they understand about the different groups that they're going to meet because in that last year of primary school and in the first year of secondary school is when children really change the set of friends of who they're sort of hanging around with and then year seven um the first year of secondary school is very much based on choices and consequences so children understand that you know if you do take a knife out of you there isn't any second chances and year nine is when we're actually going to be telling about the hard hard hitting facts because between the ages of 14 to 17 are is the age range when a child will likely is likely to carry a knife that was the family there of Billy Dove. And the website address for charity uh, for the charity is www.billyswish.co.uk. It's billyswish.co.uk. And we'll hear more from Paul and Tanya after 8 o'clock this morning. Now, later on in the show, we'll be talking about residential parking throughout the three counties. And uh, apparently it's, it's one of the worst areas in the country for, uh, for parking. And they're going to change the rules, possibly, to make it even uh, harder. We've got Karen in St Albans. Good morning, Karen. No, it's Carol. Carol, I do apologise. As, as, as in Christmas... Carol, we have been beset with technical problems, and you're getting your name wrong is the biggest of them all. I apologise. <laughs> right. Sorry, Carol. What have you got for us? Up opposite us, they have just completed a block of, of 20 flats. Yeah. 15 parking spaces. Whoa! I can, I can see the problem there. Why couldn't they? Well, and round the corner, they're building a care home, mm-hmm. a 60-bed care home with 20 parking spaces. Well, I, w- I would imagine that most of the residents in the care home won't have cars, but the staff certainly will. Uh, yeah, and visitors. <clears throat> so what's the parking light in your road and the surrounding areas at the moment? Um, pretty bad. Yeah. I mean, if, if we have visitors, it's um, horrendous. And about to get worse. Do you, do you drive, Carol? Yes. Uh, and do you struggle to find a parking space? No, we have a, run, a run-in, but okay. it doesn't stop people um, parking over the run-in. Yeah, and well, of, of course. We, listen, it, the street I live in at the moment, we are having... There is so much building work going on. There's a house that's being built opposite us that so far has been, has been going for over a year. There's another house being built a couple of doors down. And there, all these lorries and trucks are yeah. taking up all of the parking space. Yeah. And you well, can't park anywhere. No, where my mother lives, it, it's, it, it's, it's awful. Mm. And, and um, I mean, they have no, I mean, they have um, a, about a two, well, it's a slab-wide front garden. Mm. 
And so, um, but where where we live, there's um, quite a lot of um, on the road uh, parking. Carol, keep keep listening. So we'll be, we'll be touching on this uh, a little bit later on. There, Karen in St Albans. So, going off on a slight tangent about these blooming builders, uh, they were outside the other day. I had my little boy. He was asleep, but I still had him. They were effing and jeffing like nobody's business. I couldn't believe it. I, listen, I, I don't mind a little bit of swearing when it's appropriate, but not that loudly in the street. And I told them off, and I got a filthy look from one of them, as if to say, "How dare you!" Now, yesterday we mentioned the problems on the O2 network, and uh, O2 now says that all of its mobile phone network should be working properly. The company has begun looking at compensating the thousands of customers whose phones stop working. Phil Dave is a techni- technology expert from Hertfordshire. Good morning, Phil. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm okay now that I've got my phone back. What on earth happened? Well, it's a bit unclear, really, but according to several sources, it would appear that O2 had a problem with the software that registers your an O2 customer's phone on their network. And so that means that when you make a call, your phone is telling O2 that you are a registered user, and O2 checks it against their database that says, yes, you are indeed a registered user. So that is where the problem was, and as a result of this registration system crashing, that's what caused so many thousands of people not to be able to make phone calls. Consequently, customers up and down the country couldn't use their phones. And this is quite key, because that's what tells us that this was nothing to do with any masts, because that's geographical. Mm. But because it was up and down the country, that implies that it had to be something central, and the nervous system that controls the registered users is the obvious thing that must have gone wrong. Well, O2 haven't actually made it clear. Right, OK. So they're investigating it now, and I'm I'm assuming they'll, they'll, at some point, they'll let us know. It took a long time to resolve, didn't it, Phil? Well, yes and no. I mean, if you think about it, the fault was, as I say, the central nervous system. It's what's yeah. called their HLR system. That stands for Home lo- uh, Home Location Register. Yes. And uh, putting that into English, that is just literally the database that has the list of registered users on it. So when you think of it like that, then it hasn't been that bad. It was only really drawn to attention Wednesday evening. That's when it really started mm. coming to light. And Friday morning, here we are, problem solved. You're being v- Phil. You're being very generous. <laughs> we had call- we had callers yesterday um, who have like small businesses and stuff. And yeah, I couldn't text my wife for for a few hours. That wasn't so bad. But there were businesses that were struggling. <laughs> maybe maybe it was a bonus, Phil. To be honest, but there were businesses that were struggling because they were reliant on their phones. This it- is true. I mean, I, I dare say that. It was obviously a case of that businesses do rely on O2 phones, and of course if they couldn't make calls, then yes, there would have been something in the way of a loss of income. And obviously it's right that O2 are now looking to compensate those people, but I would point it this way, it was only ever in O2's best interest to get this turned around as quickly as possible, because let's face it, for however much money you as an individual was losing as your phone wasn't working... O2 was losing that times hundreds of thousands. And as angry as I was with O2, there was a fantastic thing, I think it was on the Guardian website yesterday, of uh, some of their replies on Twitter to the abuse. Did you see those? Do you know I didn't? Oh, it's, afraid, it's worth it? having a look. There was, there, the, the example they gave was a tweet, and I, I'm, I can't say it on the air, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to bleep it. Although I can't even bleep it, it's too rude. It was basically suggesting that O2 go and do something very, very rude to themselves. And O2, fair play to them, replied back, thanks for the suggestion, we're a little bit busy at the moment uh, trying to fix this, we'll consider it later on. And I thought that kind of, that won me over slightly, their sense of humour about it. 
I can't help but think that maybe that came from one of those builders that we were referring to earlier. <laughs> I think it may have done. Uh, Phil, thank you very much. Phil Dave is a technology expert from Hertfordshire. You can let us know if the O2 thing affected you. Uh, we're being slightly flippant, and, I'm, and uh, you know, because it didn't affect me that badly. It was annoying. But I know that there were are people listening to this show that it was more than annoying, and it cost you money. 08459 555 How did it affect you? Uh, let's get the latest now with tra- uh, the travel with Sophie Tyler. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. Here are the headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. A murder inquiry has been launched following the death of a man in Hatfield on Wednesday night. It follows reports of a disturbance at a house in Northfield in the town. Detectives from Bedfordshire, Cambridgeshire and Hertfordshire major crime units now want to establish the events leading up to the time of his death. A couple from Bedfordshire travelling, uh, a couple from a Bedfordshire travelling family are in jail this morning after being convicted of holding two men in servitude and making them carry out forced labour. 34-year-old James John Connors is serving 11 years while his wife, 31-year-old Josie, has been jailed for four. In sport, Britain's Bradley Wiggins retained the yellow jersey for the fifth consecutive day after yesterday's Stage 11 of the Tour de France. His lead is now two minutes, five seconds ahead of his Team Sky colleague, Chris Froome. There'll be a full sports bulletin with Simon in 15 minutes. There'll also be a full weather bulletin in a few minutes. And coming up, we'll be hearing about a potential new parking scheme in St Albans. Residents could be charged different amounts for parking outside their house, depending on how big their car is. If this affects you, 084. 459-455-555. It is a cracking listen. I know we've got a few new listeners, only a few, because a few have followed me from where I, the nonsense I used to do. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, stick around after nine for Jonathan, because it is, um, <clears throat> it's a listen. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you that. It's a listen. Uh, we're talking about chicken pox uh, this morning, uh, and we've got Gwen in Sally. Good morning, Gwen. Morning. Uh, what, what can you tell me? Well, I, I was 17 when I had chicken pox. And my sisters and brothers as well, we was all in the bed together. Oh, blimey. And my mother put on us calamar lotion because when you've got chicken pox, you want to itch. And if you scratch the top off the the, um, pimples, you'll leave a scar. Oh, people are having their breakfast, Gwen. I had the uh, calamine lotion. The problem with it is is it does work and it cools you down, but then it dries, doesn't it? It becomes all horrible and you have to wash it off and start again. Well, we, we didn't wash it off, we just left it there. What? Yes. Really? Yes. You left it there, Gwen? Yes. Gwen, without being rude, uh, I would s- suspect that you are of a slightly older generation. Yes. I don't want to know the numbers. <laughs> have, you got any, uh, have you got any sort of, like, old herbal remedies or old wives' tales or tips for, for dealing with it? Like, you know, stick your feet in a bowl of vinegar or something? <laughs> no, no, no. No? no. Okay. No. Well, uh, Gwen, listen. It's just that, just that we use... Calamar lotion on us, and mainly it was to stop the itching. Yeah, that's that's the thing, Gwen. Thank you for that. Never what? Never washed it off. Gwen, you mucky pup. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Um, we'll be doing that big story about the snails soon. Don't go anywhere. Time now to get the latest weather with Steve Weston. Thank you, Steve. Call oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. BBC uh, Three Counties there Radio. We go. Now, we were sabotaged earlier on when we tried to bring you the snail story. Someone, someone doesn't want this story out there, but for goodness sakes, we're going to do it. Walkers in the three counties are being asked to keep their eyes out for Roman snails. Elsewhere in the country, numbers of the snails have dropped by 70%. I'd love to know how they work that out. 
We'll find out in a minute. We've got a guest. Uh, it's believed that people are taking them home and eating them. Our reporter, Serena Farrow, has been speaking to Jean Bamford, who goes walking near Amersham. I think some tend to catch anything that moves, don't they, and consider it's fair game, so they probably wouldn't think about not taking them. Decided it probably economics has got something to do with it. What would one look like if you're looking at a snail? It would look exactly like an ordinary snail, but just a bit bigger, considerably bigger. And to catch them, though, the snail itself... That would be very easy. I mean, snails are notoriously not very fast runners, are they? (laughs) Well, if you wander around where they are, you can see quite a few. And, yes, I could have collected a dozen or more quite easily. And would you say... Buckinghamshire or this area's more prone than any other area? I shouldn't think so. They like the sort of chalk grassland on the escarpment over near Wendover Way. And I think probably the Dunstable Downs too, any of that sort of terrain, I would imagine. I suppose you would tell people not to do it if you saw them. But they'd be out more in the evenings, I would think, than broad daylight, so probably be less likely to be up there yourself then because i guess snails are come out at any yeah, time so of day don't they well, so yes if it's damp they'll be around and it's certainly been damp this year sam newby richie is from the ramblers association good morning sam good morning how I, are you i'm, I'm okay I'm, I'm i don't like bugs and slugs and horrible things like this so i'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable discussing this if i'm completely right. honest with you okay are people really taking these snails home and eating them Well, there was a predicament in uh, Surrey where um, the ramblers in that area actually noticed that um, the the stock seemed to be very, very sort of um, minimal compared to what they usually are at this time of year. And they were so concerned, they actually raised the matter with the police. And and it does turn out that there could be some sort of element of um, poaching going on there and the the smells being used in local restaurants. Hang on a second. They they got in touch with the police about it? They have, yes. And the police are actually undertaking an inquiry. Wow. What What did the police say when you phone up say hello um, police I, I, I suspect that some snails are, are being stolen well i think basically it boils down to that it's actually illegal to, to kill or injure the roman snails they're a protected species is it really i did not know that okay. yeah so basically they, they do breed in our area no. um as the, the lady said before dunstable downs is a particularly good area for them because of the chalk um but um certainly that they sell for up to a pound each so if you've got a french restaurant and you can snaffle a few for free in in sort of the under Groves, then um, you'll probably make a nice profit on it, won't you? Why are you worried about it, Sam? Well, because they're part of our nature, aren't they? They're part of um, the, the, the sort of the diversity of our landscapes, and, and we should be protecting them. They're not there for, to be taken. They're, they're there to, to make Britain what it is. And uh, uh, these snails, the, 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 it's the Roman snails specifically, they're bigger than your common or garden snail, are they? They are. They're, they're about, a, about an inch long, I believe. Not that I'm an expert in Roman snails, <laughs> I, I have to confess. I know, you are here as a, from the Ramblers Association, not from the Snail Association. Let's, right. let's, if we get any of the snail facts here, we won't hold it against you. <laughs> Ever eaten a snail? Um, I have, yes. What was it like? Was it horrible? I, I didn't dislike it. Um, it, it. It's getting them out of the shells the worst bit. Oh, gosh, mm. it sounds grim. Sna- snails are a pest, though, aren't they? Let's be honest. Well, I came out of the, my house this morning and it was dark and I crunched at least three snails. They're a nuisance, aren't they? Well, they're not. They're part of our nature, aren't they? They're, they're there for a, a reason, and, uh, yeah, we should, we should embrace them all. Uh, Sam, do you blame the French? 
Not really. They, mm. they were there here first, weren't they? We were Roman snails, so... Okay. Uh, and how, how's, how's the world of rambling going these days? The, the, the association doing well? It's, it's doing really well. In, in Bedfordshire, we're particularly sort of um, working hard because we've got the Bedfordshire Walking Festival coming up in September, um, which is a programme of 70-odd walks that are taking place throughout the, the county. Um, and we're really hoping to introduce sort of the ramblers to some new members because um, I think we have a bit of a, a dusty image that perhaps is isn't quite correct and uh yeah we'd love people to come along onto our walks and see if they could uh you know join us and, and experience what the ramblers is really like in 2012 sam thank you very much that's sam newby ritchie who is from the ramblers association come on right there's nothing better than going for a walk on a wet sunday is there i'm being serious i love it going for a walk through the woods on a wet sunday with a packed lunch I know, listen, I'm, I'm hardly a young person, I'm nearly 40, uh, so, but it, it, it's a great way to spend a, spend a morning or an afternoon, I promise. 08459 455 555, ever eaten a snail? Oh, it just doesn't, I mean, the, the French will eat anything, won't they? It, it just doesn't appeal to me in the slightest. In the, why would you do that? And the people that I've spoken to who have tried snails, they go, eh, it's alright. No one says it's the most amazing experience d- taste sensation ah, it's all right that's not good enough for me oh eight four five nine four double five five double five we're also uh, talking chicken pox this morning it's a, it's a glamorous show oh it's a glamorous show we've got joyce and lee grave good morning joyce oh joyce where are you you're there hello joyce i'm here i'm here hello, loud joyce. and clear loud, loud and clear <laughs> joyce is here <laughs> joyce what have you got for me on chicken your, pox your little boy yes if you can get some urax Oh, we've had this mentioned already, yes, yes. Oh, have you? Yes. Good, good. And oh. the thing being, that is good. It does take the inflammation away and it cools it and it does uh, keep with him, uh, you know, to cool him down all the while, bless him. Ever had a porridge bath? No, thank you. <laughs> and also, I don't want to... I don't want to daunt you, but... Yes, daunt me, go be on. Be very careful because sometimes adults get... Um, what? Yes, shingles from. But I've had ch- I've pox. had chicken pox. I can't get it again. Oh, you okay? You're immune. Oh, there we go. You worried me then. Oh, uh, brilliant! Oh, that's your that's your thing for the day. Your star for the day. Thank you, Joyce. Ever eaten a snail? No, thank you. <laughs> Joyce, I, I, I tell you what we do do. My gardener helper man came come up Thursday. Your gardener helper man, yes. Yeah, and I've got a little wall about two foot high <laughs> at the front with lovely flowers overhanging it. Oh, gorgeous! And he lifts the little flowers up. Beautiful. And there's these lovely snails. Oh. And he picks them up and he throws them on the road and the cars get them. (laughs) Joyce, it started off as the most charming, wonderful story and it's turned into a horrible genocide. That's hideous. I could have sold them, couldn't I? You could have made a quid a pop. (laughs) Joyce, thank you very much. You're my my favourite caller of of the last ten minutes. Joyce in Leegrave there. Uh, By the way, can I just say, can I just say, we do not recommend you do what Joyce's gardener helper man does. Don't throw the snails. When I do the gardening, I'm always very protective. If I find a snail or a worm, I'll kind of move it somewhere a bit safe. You know, it means it takes blooming hours to do it, but um, Joyce, naughty, naughty Joyce, no star for you. Let's get the latest travel news now with Sophie Tyler. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Do you have problems finding a space to park outside your house? Well, if you live in Stevenage, Broxbourne or Watford, you probably do. They're all in the top five places outside London with the lowest amount of residential parking. In St Albans, councillors are considering basing the cost of parking permits on the size of your car's engine and reducing the number of permits from three to two per household. Green Party councillor Simon Grover is the man who's put the idea forward. Good morning, Simon. Good morning, Ian. Why do you think there's a need to do this in St Albans? 
There's a lack of space. That's the, the, the quick answer. We've also got a pollution problem in the centre of St Albans, um, which we need to look at very quickly. Otherwise, we're going to get fined by Europe. So those two uh, problems combined mean we need to do something. But what if a family's already got three cars in their household? How, what are they supposed to do with the third one? Well, I think if we do decide to reduce uh, the maximum number of permits, then you have a period uh, over a period of years um, or, or, or months where you say, you know, at a certain time you won't be able to renew that permit. Of course, we're not saying you can't own three cars, and we're not saying you can't per- park your third car in St Albans. We're just saying within this certain area, which is very congested in the centre of town, there will be a maximum as to what you can park on the street. Uh, Simon, sorry, did you say over a number of years? Well, I don't know. The details have not been worked out. We've okay. just been talking about the ideas. But you wouldn't be one, you know, one day you can have three cars, the second day you can't. It's not. But if, not you've got, if you've got a car, three cars, you want to have them near the home, don't of, you? Of course you do. Unfortunately, in the centre of St Albans, it's a historic, uh, you know, Roman originally town that is not designed. It simply doesn't have the space. We have a lot of Victorian terraces and there is not the space for everybody to have three cars. There's not the space for everyone to have two, to be honest. Fortunately, most people only have one and a lot of people don't have a car at all which means there is a bit of space for people to have two cars. We simply don't have the, the space. And actually, we're only talking about 100 households in the whole of the district that have three cars within these zones. So it's not a very large number of people, but it will start to make a difference. And there's other ideas that we have that will hopefully encourage people to, to have as few cars as they can possibly get away with. Uh, well, but people need cars to get to and from work and, and college and things like that, don't they? So it's for, they for everyone. The, 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 I mean, I'm a big fan of buses and public transport, and I use them whenever I can. But sometimes you need to use a car. Yes, of course you do. This is not anti-car. This is also not about making money out of cars. This is about trying to be fair. This is saying we live in a congested, cramped city. How can we be as fair as possible? Well, let's start by saying um, everybody can park at least one car pretty near to their house. That will be a great start. We don't have that at the moment. Lots of people, uh, certainly in my ward, which is right in the centre of St Albans, say to me, I can't park my one car outside my house or anywhere near. So this is an attempt to have a look okay. at some ideas that might help with that. Uh, charging someone depending on their engine size, that's, that doesn't affect parking spaces, does it? What's, what's the reasoning behind that? Well, this is what we do with car tax at the moment. Um, it's not so much engine size, that's for older cars, but for, for cars that have been made in the last um, 10 or 11 years, uh, your car tax that you pay will be based on the emissions of your vehicle mm. and that goes from zero for electric cars right up to hundreds and hundreds of pounds for the most most polluting so this is something the government has already set up uh, the rac uh, the well-known eco warriors have said you know this is a really good way of encouraging people to have low emission cars is to charge them the, the, the more uh, the more the, the car pollutes um, as i say there's a pollution problem in st Albans, so it matches that as well and also as it happens uh, lower emission cars tend on average to be uh, smaller in length um, than higher emission cars so there's another bonus there that they'll uh, take up a little bit less space but it does seem it would seem a little unfair perhaps to charge someone more for parking because of the, the, the how big their car is in terms of output not necessarily size well, this is about trying to tackle a couple of problems at once. As I say, we do have this pollution problem in St Albans. In St Albans as well is one of the, St Albans district has got one of the highest carbon footprints in the UK and the council is committed to trying to reduce that footprint. So this is another way of saying, you know, if you choose a, a lower emission, a less polluting car, we will, uh, we will reward you for that by charging you less for parking. If you choose a very, and we're not talking about most cars, we're talking about the very dirtiest cars um would be would be charged more and that that's a fair way i think of tackling um you know the problems that we have in st Albans. we can't just sit back and say we're not going to do anything about them we need to encourage people to behave in a way that uh, is better for everybody who lives in the district parking permits are quite complicated already uh this is going to make matters even more confusing aren't they 
Not really. There's there's very simple things you can do. You don't you don't have a hundred different bands or hundred different prices. The places that do this already, there's lots of London boroughs. There's uh, cities like York and Edinburgh. They have a very simple band system, maybe three or four bands. You know which band you're going to be in because you're you know which tax band you're in because you get that information from uh, DVRC. Um, and so it's quite simple for you to find out uh, what you're going to have to pay. And the council officers, all they need to do is, is look at your your V5 registration document. It'll say there, and it's a simple question of charging appropriately. Where Whereabouts are we in, in, in the plans? How, how far are we down the line with this? I just put them to the council this week and they were accepted. So um, the council staff are going to go away, uh, uh, and look at the maths uh, and come up with some proposals. And hopefully later in the year we'll be able to uh, start looking at when we can implement the plans. OK, so Simon, stay there. We've got Sheila online. Good morning, Sheila. Good morning. You're from St Albans. I am. Uh, what do you make of this, of what Simon's saying? Um, well, uh, my first thought was this word pollution mm. and how parking or trying to get rid of people with certain cars would help with the pollution. The area that we have the pollution, I believe, is places like the top of Hollywell Hill. Um, you can't park there at any rate. And let's let's think about it. The people who are living in St Albans, if they live near that area, would probably walk through. So it's all the other people who are passing through St Albans that are causing the pollution. So to turn around and say that if they have a parking permit system which brings down the cars and makes people buy smaller ones, it will not stop the pollution at places like Hollywell Hill. Sheila, so, surely uh, anything that can be done to reduce pollution, but, but that has to be a good idea, doesn't it? It, it does if it if it stops the pollution but what i'm trying to say is that there you can't park along hollywell hill you don't park anywhere in the area where there is pollution the reason there's a lot of pollution is because there's a set of traffic lights and there is a lot of traffic and that traffic goes through which it needs to do it needs to go from a to b that's fair enough but to turn around and make the comment that if you have this new parking permit system that it will stop the pollution the pollution is only in certain areas and that is where the traffic is going from a to b it's moving traffic it's not people who park their cars like i do um living a little bit further down london road simon uh, yes, Sheila's absolutely right. You you can't park around Hollywell Hill. Um, and yes, a lot of the traffic that comes through St Albans um, is coming from somewhere else. But there is a very large amount of local traffic as well. Surveys have been done that shows that a lot of the journeys that come through the centre of St Albans are very, very short ones from people who live in St Albans. And it's about tackling, trying to tackle that problem a little bit. There are other things we can do about that pollution in that area. But it also, as I say, it's about trying to reduce the carbon footprint generally of the district. And if we can encourage people to have lower emission cars and that will help to do that sheila well all i can say is maybe make the uh, traffic lights shorter times so that you're you're not sitting there with your sort of smoke or whatever coming out the backs of your cars um so that it's a quicker turnaround people are moving um but you can't force people to necessarily get newer cars just by you know i've got to go through st albans this morning because i can't do it on the bus it's an interesting point, Simon, isn't it? Because I, I would love to get, you know, a, a much better emission-free f- car, whatever. But they're expensive, aren't they? And people are struggling to even get the basics at the moment. They can, they can be expensive, of course, and that is true. Um, and this is not about, uh, you know, disadvantaging people who, who don't go out and buy the latest car. But cars generally are becoming cleaner the newer they are. Um, as I say, like the car tax system, for, for slightly older cars, you'd have a, a system based around engine size, so you weren't... Um, you weren't pe- penalising people for, for the lack of technology but this is not this is not about uh, you know penalising people generally this is about encouraging people it's not about forcing people to do anything it's saying if you do this action we will reward you with this um, to try and make, make little steps to try and improve
remove these problems. It's the duty of the council to try and uh, address these problems, and that's what we're trying to do. Sheila, thank you very much for your call. Simon, thank you very much as well. I'm sure we'll be following this story as it, it progresses. That was Green Party councillor Simon Grover, who's the man behind the idea uh, about changing the cost of parking permits in St Albans. If you live in that area... Be keen to find out your views on this. 08459 455 555. Does it make sense? Should we be d- doing everything we can to reduce the pollution everywhere? Not just in St Albans, but everywhere. A- and is this the right way to do it? Is it fair? If you live in those areas that he mentioned. 08459 455 555. Do you struggle to find parking spaces anyway? Is it, a t- is it tough enough as it is without introducing more stricter measures? This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. I'd love to get your thoughts on this and everything that we're talking about now. Let's get the latest travel news with Sophie Tyler. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. Here are the headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. A murder inquiry has been launched following the death of a man in Hatfield on Wednesday night. Police were called to the house late on Wednesday evening where they found a man suffering from serious injuries. Detectives from Bedfordshire, Cambridgeshire and Hertfordshire major crime units now want to establish the events leading up to the time of his death. Tributes have been paid to three British climbers who were among nine people killed in an avalanche in the French Alps. They included Roger Payne, one of the UK's most respected mountaineers. Mr Payne was a former General Secretary of the British Mountaineering Council. In sport, British riders Bradley Wiggins and Chris Froome occupy the top two places in the Tour de France after an excellent day for Team Sky on stage 11 in the Alps. Wiggins leads by just over two minutes from teammate Froome after defending champion Cadell Evans cracked on the final climb to slip to fourth. And the weather for beds, hearts and bucks. Rather cloudy with occasional bright spells, but also scattered slow-moving thundery showers. Top temperature, 18 degrees Celsius. Heavy showers on Saturday, but drier on Sunday. Coming up, you think that Britain will truly benefit from the Olympic Games. We'll be hearing how a lot of people are still pretty cynical about the Games. 08459 455 555. Well, that was supposed to be a, a fantastic trail there, and instead we got to, we, we teased you with the prospect of more travel news, and we'll be getting that a little bit later on. That's a teaser of what's to be coming later on. Now, we have been talking about the parking there. We heard uh, from the Green Councillor in St Albans, who is going to introduce ways and plans to change the parking system uh, and increase the charges depending on the size of car. And also, if you've got three cars, you're in trouble. You're going to have to move one of them. You'll only be allowed permits for two if this goes through. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. We've got Steve from Luton. Hello, Steve. Hello, morning. Morning, Steve. What have you got for us? Uh, about, was it all this carbon footprint palaver? The carbon footprint palaver, yes. <laughs> it's another excuse to get more money out of us to make us feel guilty for having a car. Well, really? Do you, you don't believe in it? No, it's, like, it's too long. Jeez, we've been polluting the air for years. You talk about the Olympics, you think there are all these people flying in by planes. You're never going to win. That's why we're getting all this rain. Nature will deal with it, we just get flooded. And at the end of the day, why don't you, if, on a serious note really, why don't you make sure that there's enough jobs in the area so people don't have to travel to work, that they can get a bus and probably walk to work. Surely you should have a quota in the town centre to how many jobs are in that no. are available and then move people up move people up the country. But the thing is, in places like St Albans, St Albans is lovely, it's commuter distance to London, so people, of course people are going to have cars that are going to drive out and about, aren't they? Well, yeah, but surely, surely, surely there should be forward planning of making sure some of these companies come to St Albans or on the outskirts of St Albans so people don't have to travel so far. 
that's part of the problem, isn't it? And obviously, people want money and you know, they want kids, and then they give them to the childminders. They both want to go to work. They all want what? love holidays. <laughs> And it's greed as well. well so, hang on a minute, Steve. Wanting to have lovely holidays and kids isn't greed. That's life. Well, yeah, but at the end of the day, you need to go... To, they need... Both parents need to go to work to pay for all this. Like, what's the point of having a kid and then giving it to a childminder? Do, do, doing it. do you I'm know what? I, I, I sort of see your point a little bit, but in in the 21st century, uh, you, you, both parents do need to work. Kids are... Have you got kids, Steve? Yeah, I have, yeah. They're well expensive. We just don't give them everything they need. Don't well, no, you don't have to give them everything they need, but, but food, they need food. Well, of course they need food, but you, Jesus, you'd get them to give a paper out on the 13th, get them a daddy job in a, in a superstore somewhere. I'm all Jesus up for that. Oh, oh, wait, stay, steady on, steady on with the language. Apologies there if anyone was offended by his, uh, his like blasphemous tone there. We don't, uh, I, I, it's only light, but it's 10 to 8. Come on, Steve, focus, focus. Uh, Jason is in Kempston. Good morning, Jason. Good morning. What's your take on this? And, and let's, let's keep an eye on the language, please, Jason. Not a problem. Thank um, you, sir. I think, I think the Green Council is wrong on charging parking by engine stroke emission size. I think the focus of the Green Party should be on the alterna- alternative, alternative fuels available for the current system we've got. If you really want to change the emissions, you're going to need to change the way that we travel around the country. And seeing as that the entire infrastructure and everything we have is based around us using our cars... Yeah. We should be looking at an alternative fuel. I've got a car, it's a big car, and from what the man in St Albans is talking, I probably couldn't afford to park it in St Albans, yet my emissions are comparable with that of a smart car because I use LPG. Right. So, you know, I'm going to get penalised if I try and park in St Albans, yet I've got one of the lowest emission-producing cars that will be in the town. Why doesn't he convert the town's buses to LPG? Because that would cost a fortune, wouldn't it? No. Really? How much would that cost then? Seriously, I've got I've got a bit. When I say a big car, it's it's an off-roader and it's a four-liter V8. Oh, Jason, you've not got one of those big like Range Rover, Land Rover type things that you drive through the town, have you? Yeah. Why? <clears throat> Why? Because I need to tow a big caravan because I have my holiday in this country, so I don't create the emissions of air, air travel. Oh, you drive a big but car the, and you tow a caravan. The point, the point I'm making is, Ian. Yes. If. I convert my car to LPG, it costs me less than £2,000. Right. I save that in the first 24 months of ownership. Right. And the emissions, seriously, from a full litre of air, I'm comparable with a smart car. Okay. Jason, listen, thank you very much for that. 08459 I'm not a fan of the big cars being driven through the towns. I'm not a fan. I'm sure Jason is, is a lovely chap, and he sounds like a lovely chap. But it yeah, doesn't really work for me. We, listen, we've got so many emails and texts this morning. Thank you very much. It's appreciated. Uh, we're talking about so many things. Uh, we're talking about maps versus sat-navs. We're talking about chicken pox. We're talking about uh, snails. We're talking about loads of stuff. Uh, Dave from Marsh Farm says, We always use maps as we tow a caravan. The advice from most sites is follow directions. Do not use sat-navs. Really? I love maps. I collect old maps. I have hundreds, but I have two sat-navs, says Vic. Why would you ever need... Why would you ever need two sat-navs? How is that going to work? And maps... Listen, maps are wonderful things to look at. They're beautiful. Um, But having one in the car to use, is that actually going to be any help whatsoever? Um, talking about snails, it really, uh, you know, am I still asleep? This has been the weirdest show I've ever done. Marina says, um, if, uh, snails, do the Roman ones have helmets and tunics? Ah, thank you very much. 
And she also says about chickenpox, if your sky, uh, child's skin is very itchy or sore, try using calamine lotion. Um, this is available from pharmacies. Yeah, I, we, we know about the lotion, Marina, and thank you for that. It's just it dries. And it goes all unpleasant and it's a bit grotty. We've got loads more emails and text. Um, 81333 is the text number. Start your text 3CR. We'll, we'll do some more of those later on. But now... It's two weeks uh, until the opening ceremony of the 2012 uh, Olympics. But a survey out this morning reckons a lot of people are still pretty cynical about the Games. Most people think the Olympics are about big business rather than local people. Our Olympics reporter, Mark Shardlow, has the details. Good morning, Mark. Morning, Ian. Uh, So this sounds like a a, a distinct lack of enthusiasm with just a fortnight to go. No, the figures aren't glowing, are they? Although, uh, you know, you hinted at it there. The questions appear to be about the things surrounding the Olympics rather than the sport itself. So will the Games benefit my local area? Uh, Do you think the Games are about London and not the rest of the country? Is it about big business? in our part of the world, we're more embracing than much of the rest of the country because this, you know it's on our doorstep. There are lots of Olympic events taking part here too. So uh, generally, uh, there is a lot of cynicism. But in this part of the world, it's it's tempered a little bit. The poll was carried out last week. Uh, the, the, the people not really into the Olympics. I mean, it, it, it's. I was very. I'm a cynical old man, Mark, yep. and I was kind of sort of dead against all of this. But as it's getting closer and closer, I am totally getting sucked into it. Well, y- you'll know all about the the Olympic torch from the from the other day, and that seems to have had a, a really big effect on people around the country because when the Olympic torch relay has passed through their area they're saying yeah we're now excited mm. about the games and, and figures around 40-45% of people saying since the torch went through we're now more excited about the games so yeah I think you know it's a slow one but once it happens then people will be excited What about the money side of things Mark? What are, what are those questions saying about the cost? Yeah it's split really, it's, it's curious uh, the question, uh, are the Olympic games a waste of money? 4 out of 10 people are saying yes they are a waste of money then the question is uh, are the olympics good value to the uk and we've got around 55 percent saying yes it's good value to the uk so it's a, there's a real split on people's view it's, it, it is a lot of money this is the thing <laughs> it, it does just keep getting bigger and bigger security has been the uh, the olympic topic of the week what are the views on on possible terrorist threats uh th- now there's some a curious figure here it's saying that um, Almost a third of people are put off from going down to the London venues because of the threat of terrorism, which seems an extraordinary high. Mm. Yet, curiously, people are saying we're feeling more confident in the security services than we were three months ago, although this <laughs> survey was carried out before the news of the last two days. So, uh, yeah, you know, how, how, what, that, what effect uh, the news of the last two days has had, I'm, I'm not sure. But I've got to be honest, Mark, I'm, now that the army are involved, uh, now that the, the big boys are involved, and, you know, it's... It's not just some some blokes off the street. I'm feeling a little bit more confident about things in that respect. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a fair point. And you know what? I th- I've got five things. I think you know when we, this survey is carried out in three months' time, and we'll ask the question: Were the games a success for the people uh, of this part of the world? And I think one, you know, are, are we going to win lots of medals? If we win medals, there's a feel-good factor. Two, can the transport system hold up? Will we get down to the venues? Okay. Three, will we get in without queuing for hours and hours and hours? Four, is it going to be safe and secure? And five, wouldn't it be great if we could have some sunshine? Because you know, as you know, the number of venues are are completely open to the weather and uh, there'll be so, you know there'll be, there'll be some dreadful pictures if people are getting absolutely drenched while watching some of the finest sports people in the world i was driving through london uh, uh, yesterday and around the north circular and the olympic lanes are in place now 
man alive, getting around, dry, getting around in a car is going to be a nightmare. I didn't know there were going to be so many lanes, so big. They're everywhere. I, th- there's a huge nervous. I'm down. You know, I've come down to London to have a look around, and there's a nervousness around the place yep. about the lanes and can the tubes cope with with everything there are messages absolutely everywhere about uh, transport and travel during the games time so i think that's one that we definitely be watching yeah. uh, when it starts two weeks two weeks today oh my goodness mark thank you very much that's our olympics reporter uh, mark shardlow thank you for that mark now our reporter serena farrow donned her running shoes and made her way to Chesh- chesham to find out how much people there are looking forward to the games it's definitely part of history isn't it because you're not from this country no i'm from south africa no so for you is it a big deal that you're here when it's happening yes, in london it is. it's very exciting i'm not actually going to any of the live events which i really would have liked to but um, yeah, no, it's definitely very exciting to be a part of it. Some other people, English people, they're not excited. So do you think they kind of take it for granted a bit? We don't realise really how big it is. And it's not just the Olympic event. It's, it's actually, you know, it's bringing the whole community together. I remember when the football was in South Africa in 2010. What a massive thing that was. And just the way that it drew the community together was absolutely amazing. It's, uh, mm. That doesn't sound convincing. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> No. Not excited as such, but, uh, you know, just looking forward to it, you know. Okay. Olympics are always interesting. Yeah. It's a cult. It'd probably be better when, when they actually start, yeah. then we get uh, enthusiastic about it. It's just a waste of money in this country, because the amount of money we owe and that money we ain't got and that money they spent could have been used better off. What would you like to have seen it being used on? Jobs. Simple as that. Yes and no. Oh. You're getting so much of it that you're reaching a point where you're, you're, you're sort of saturated before the events actually happen. Yeah. Normally, yes, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I was driving down one of the games lanes that have already been set out onto the, on the A4. It might be more interesting watching the traffic than actually watching the Olympics, just, just to see what happens. Yes, I am, certainly. Well, I'm looking forward to the athletics and seeing the stadium and just having everybody in this country. And I feel the country's really getting quite excited about it now, whether it's over budget or not. I think this security thing that's been in the news is a bit of a shame, but the army doing it will probably do a better job than the security boys. It's just another thing to get drunk or everyone to do whatever, really. Do whatever, really? Yeah, it's just another thing to get drunk or do whatever, really. 08459 455 555. Are you actually looking forward to the Olympics? Are you completely apathetic about it and think it's a waste of money and a waste of time and it's just going to make us a potential target. 08459 455 555. Let's get the latest travel news now with Sophie Tyler. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio with your breakfast show this morning. Olympic apathy. 08459 455 555. All of that and more after the latest news and sport with Simon Oxley. Thank you, Simon. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. I'm here for the next few weeks. And I've been asking you to call in because while I'm doing this show, I don't want it to just be me wittering on, partly because I'm lazy, partly because I'm boring. And also, I want this show to be about you and your voices. And and I want to talk to you and get your stories and your experiences. And today, you've really been spoiling me. Uh, I've had so many texts and emails and phone calls, and it's wonderful. 08459 455 555. If you want to comment on any of the stories that we're talking about. And don't worry, we've got more on the Roman snail story. I'm not letting that one go. This is the big one of the day. Slow news day, what? No, I'll have none of it. 
Jonathan Vernon Smith will be in in 15 minutes or so to tell us what's happening on his show. Olympic security. Snails. <laughs> I love it. Ah, dear. My mum will be so proud. Now, a charity is being launched in the memory of a young man who was stabbed to death in Hemel Hempstead. Two weeks ago, teenager Darren McGrath was jailed for murdering 21-year-old Billy Dove during a night out. The new charity, called Billy's Wish, aims to prevent knife crime in the future. Our reporter Justin Dealey has been speaking to Billy's dad Paul and charity secretary Tanya Whitney. Paul, we mentioned in the first piece how Billy's friends are not coping very well and I can totally understand that. This, of course, happened in their hometown as well and Billy and his friends were very, very sociable. They were always going out and about. So I presume, since this has happened, that they just can't set foot in Hemeltown Centre because the memories are just too raw and too painful for them. It's early days yet for them, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Seeing something like that uh, and they were with him. Uh, a lot of his friends that night and they see it and uh, I think that uh, put any kid off at that age going down and seeing that again. Are you still in close contact with his friends so it's so you helping each other? Yeah, all the time, yeah, they're all playing football uh, but uh, we've got a new football team up what they set up, Doves United, who we need a very nice sponsor from. <laughs> uh, be good advertising from whoever does it because it's, it's getting big. Mm. Uh, that'd be good because it's the kit they want and uh, but his name's going to be put on the back of it. And how proud does that make you feel, as Billy's father, knowing that his friends are trying to, to make a positive out of a negative, getting this team together, you're going to be the manager. How proud does that make you feel? Fantastic. Fantastic. It's just a it, lot, of, lot of Billy's with them. They say they're all good kids. I've seen most of them grow up from little boys and Billy. It's just uh, it's sad to start with, but it'll get better. But you're so keen to, to keep Billy's name alive oh, and definitely. to make a difference definitely. because you don't want any family, and every day for you right now... It's a sentence for yourself. You don't want any other family no, going through no, that. Not at all. I don't want anybody going through what I'm going through at the moment. Uh, going back to uh, we've got Memorial Cups, we've got so much planned for the future. His name's never going to die. And a Three Peaks Challenge for you. You up That's for that? Easy, easy, <laughs> easy. Well, we've just done the St Albans Marathon and had a Billy raise some big money. Uh, that was good. Nothing's impossible, is it? Mm. You need to get there for the right reasons. Brilliant stuff. I hope it all goes really well for yeah, you. Thank you, Justin. It's going to bring uh, Tanya back into the conversation as well. Tanya, in the first piece earlier on, we mentioned the three-tier plan about preventing knife crime. You've also got uh, a very interesting idea with the charity about uh, employing retired teachers mm-hmm. to go into schools. It's called the Attention and Detention Focus. Um, just tell us quite briefly how that would work. Yeah, um, it's very much um, in its concept stage, and um, what we initially do is roll out a pilot first, but it's really sort of it's reaching out to the children that generally get detentions all the time and what will happen is we will um, recruit um, retired teachers to go into a school ideally what we'd like is to have that one-to-one focus where we get a retired teacher that will sit down with that child now it's very much looking at giving them um, extra help with reading writing and arithmetic and it'd be very much led by either um, the head teacher um or their tutor as to which area you know the child really needs to sort of focus on it could well be you know sometimes there might be problems at home that the school's completely 
unaware of mm. and you know grades might just be dropping and they're becoming disruptive in the class it could be that they just need that extra little bit of help i've looked at the website in detail it's a very moving website some lovely photographs on there as well as we look around the living room here just surrounded by photographs of billy you're so keen to uh, to keep the name alive to move forward and, and hopefully prevent this happening to anybody else if anybody wants to look at the website and let's try and get as many people to look at that today can we have the website address of course it's www.billyswish.co.uk and i'd just like to thank everybody that's visited the site so far i mean i keep looking at the numbers and i just can't i can't believe how quickly they're going up and, and so far we've had um just over eleven thousand page views in just one week and he's going across the globe as well yeah absolutely and five thousand pounds since february yeah. which is incredible it's it's absolutely amazing i just want to thank each and every you know each and every one of the public that's donated because we can't do this without them and you know and billy was really special to us and we just want to thank them from the bottom of our hearts you know for letting us you know for helping us create this legacy for him <sighs> sad isn't it i just love billy's wish.co.uk is the page i've got up in front of me now and uh, there's just some some lovely pictures flashing across the screen <clears throat> if you want to have a look billy's wish.co.uk got an email from andrea i've just listened to paul and tanya and all i can say is that i'm so proud of my friends the way they spoke about billy he would have been so proud of them all and also sally and jen they're all w- working hard for billy's wish and they've done Billy proud. It should never have happened, and he didn't deserve it. But everyone is working so hard to make Billy's wish a success. Well done to Paul, Tanya, Sally and Jan. Proud of you all. Love, Andrea Gray. Ah, man. OK, moving on. John Terry is waiting to find out if he'll be found guilty of racism. Closing arguments have been heard in the former England captain's trial. He's accused of racially abusing Anton Ferdinand in a match between Chelsea and QPR last October. Our reporter Jonathan Blake has been following the trial at Westminster Magistrates Court. What did the prosecution say in their closing statement, Jonathan? Well, Ian, the prosecution lawyer Duncan Penny said that John Terry was guilty of straightforward racism in that match when he shouted at Anton Ferdinand. He said the player was fed up with being taunted about claims he'd had an affair with his teammate's ex-girlfriend and he lashed out at Anton Ferdinand saying, and yours, before using the racist insult. Now, John Terry claims it was, in fact, Ferdinand who used the racist language first and that he was only repeating it back to him, asking if that's what he'd said. But the prosecution said it was unlikely that Anton Ferdinand would have had the motivation or the sophistication to do that. What about the defence? Well, the defence said that the case was in fact not about racism. George Carter Stevenson QC summed up by saying that the prosecution's case was based on speculation and that they had conceded during the trial John Terry wasn't a racist and there was an abundance of evidence to prove that. He said it was inconceivable that taunts from Anton Ferdinand had made John Terry snap when he'd heard similar things on the pitch hundreds of times before and he made reference to John Terry's record as a player saying that in 600 matches he had only been sent off four times and never for his use of language. When is the verdict due? We should get the verdict this afternoon just after lunch the Chief Magistrate Howard Riddle's expected to deliver it and John Terry denies the charge. Thank you very much. That's Jonathan Blake, who's been following the trial of John Terry at Westminster Magistrate Court. Now, you've been texting in, in your droves and emailing. I, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I, I'm going to rattle through these. Apologies if I miss any, because we have had so many. And apologies, they're going to be all over the shop, because, let's be honest, today's show has been a real hodgepodge of... 
<laughs> of content. We've gone from chicken pox to sack navs to snails to all kinds of things. Um, Judy uh, texted on 81333, starting a text 3CR. My husband doesn't trust satnags, as he calls them. Oh, I turned the voice off on my satnav. Always turn the voice off. I just, I don't, I don't want to be told. I just want to look. Satnags. He brought, a, he bought a new atlas last week. Even though maps need updating from time to time, so do satnavs, and they do not always show new roads. Do you know what? That's true. My satnav has got to be seven years old. It is well out of date. But to update the maps, you've got to pay loads of money. So I'm, I'm not going to do that. So it's, there are quite a few streets that are now one-way streets that it doesn't recognise as being one-way streets. Um, Vera says, calamine lotion, you don't wash it off. Vera, really? Because I remember as a kid, you put it on. This is for the chicken pox. You put it on and then it dries and it becomes like a hardened crust on your skin. Vic says, snails, they can take my snails any time. They can have the slugs as well. Are slugs a delicacy anywhere? I don't think they are. And Faye in Bedford says, I had chicken pox as a baby, and at 11 I got shingles. I don't know how that happened. I thought once you'd had the chicken pox, you can't get the shingles. And here we go, there's another one from Esther. You mentioned chicken pox and only getting it once. My mate's son had it six times in the infants. No, I don't, but no. That's not possible, is it? I don't know if that is a one-off, but it changed my mind about the myth of getting it once. Okay, now I'm panicking. Now I'm panicking. Before the end of the show, we've got 45 minutes before JVS comes on. I need a doctor. (laughs) Seriously, I'm not a hypochondriac. I don't suffer from that. But I need a doctor. 08459 455 555. You can't get chicken pox more than once, can you? Can you really? And very quickly on the, the subject of pollution in St Albans and the new parking system. Pollution problem in St Albans began a few years ago when the council rephased the peahen lights. Just another money-making St Albans parking policy that is killing the town. That's from Paul in St Albans. Travel news now. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. The headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Hertfordshire police have launched a murder inquiry after the death of a man who was found seriously injured at a house in Hatfield. The man who's not yet been named was discovered at 11.30 on Wednesday night after police were called to reports of a disturbance at an address in the Northfield area of the town. The man was taken to Lister Hospital in Stevenage but died shortly afterwards. A couple from a Bedfordshire travelling family are in jail this morning after being convicted of holding two men in servitude and making them carry out forced labour. 34-year-old James John Connors is serving 11 years, while his wife, 31-year-old Josie, has been jailed for four. In sports, British riders Bradley Wiggins and Chris Froome occupy the top two places in the Tour de France after an excellent day for Team Sky on stage 11 in the Alps. Wiggins leads by just over two minutes from teammate Froome after defending champion Cadel Evans cracked on the final climb to slip fourth. There's a full sports bulletin in 15 minutes. Coming up, we'll be speaking to people in St Albans about a potential new parking scheme in St Albans. Residents could be charged different amounts for parking outside their house depending on how big their car is. Jonathan Vernon-Smith is joining me in the studio. Jonathan, I'm going to have to ask you to come in after I've done all the button pushing and stuff like that because you're just so full of gossip. Am I, uh, have I, have I put you off? You, you put me off. You're just so, you're so full of gossip and, and you, the stuff you come in and tell me. I'm that... just telling you little nuggets about what's coming up in my show later <laughs> and it's, uh, it's put you all at sixes and sevens. It has. I'm trying to fire buttons and be all sensible and serious and there's some, you must listen to Jonathan's show at nine o'clock because some of the stuff he's told me wow oh, it's hot wow by the way yes. i was listening to you talking about sat navs and you said you turn the voice off yes on your sat nav yeah, i don't listen to the voice would, would no voice make you keep it on 
What does that mean? Well, if uh, I don't know what kind of voice you have on your sat nav, I have. A, I have. A, um, I tried the sexy American lady. That didn't work. No. Oh no, because they 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 say the uh, the wrong word for roundabouts, don't they? And the American, yeah, and sidewalk and things like that. That's right. Uh, so then I just had a normal man, a normal man, <laughs> so American but not normal. <laughs> uh, and then I just. <laughs> I'm so not going to be back here after the end of my, my stint. Uh, and uh, so, no, just I, it's silence. I have silence. I'd like Anne Widdicombe, don't you think? Um, turn right. I'd love that. Can, do you think Anne Widdicombe's done it? I don't think she has. That's on the record. Uh, the voice, no. Uh, I, she probably would for money. Uh, well, I'll pitch it to her, shall okay. I? Yes, I think she probably Occasionally will. I speak to Anne Widdicombe, so I'll suggest. Do you really? I do. Are you friends with Anne? Su- no, well, no, I wouldn't go that far. Okay. I once played the hokey-cokey for her. Coming up at nine on the big phone-in, are you excited about the Olympic Games yet? Two weeks today sees the opening ceremony of the 2012 Olympics. You've been discussing this this morning, Ian, I know, right. but a survey claims there's continuing cynicism about the Games amongst the population. A poll carried for the BBC News suggests the majority of British adults thinks the Olympics are about big businesses rather than local people. Well, you were talking about this earlier. We saw in Beds, Hearts and Bikes a very successful Olympic torch relay very successful you were saying you weren't excited about it but the olympic torch made you excited it it totally i'm a cynical old so-and-so and and i I totally got sucked up into it and enjoyed it well i wonder now we're still you know we're we're still uh, feeling the effects of the olympic torch traveling through our streets of beds hearts and bucks are we now all whipped up into a frenzy about the olympics are you really looking forward to it or are you one of those people who's thinking oh god you know what the sooner it's over the better are you excited about the olympic games yet it's the big phone in 08459 455 555 i'd love to hear from you at nine thank you very much jonathan vernon smith it's always worth a listen let's go to oh we've got um before we go to the weather we've got joan in uxbridge hello joan hello joan what, what can i do for you nothing just to tell you that you can get calamine lotion with oil added ah so it doesn't form a crust so it doesn't form a crust and it's much more soothing going on if you ask your chemist uh, Joan, I shall check that out. Thank you. G- you've all been so kind with your, your help for my little boy. And when I go home and, and tell him all of this, I'm sure he will... Well, he'll, he, he won't acknowledge it. He's only two and a half. But, Joan, thank you very much. So there is now calamine lotion. Why do I always want to say chamomile lotion? I've always said chamomile lotion, and it isn't. There is calamine lotion with oil in it. That's always good to know. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Surely you've got to be looking up. Simon Evans, we're grateful. Oh, let's go. Where, where are you, Steve? You're there, are you? I'm here. I'm just in chamomile. It's a herb, isn't it, it? It is a herb, and it makes a delicious cup of tea, and you would not want to rub that up. Well, you probably could rub it on your I body. Think, I think it does have uh, uh, medicinal purposes, I'm sure. Thank you, Steve. What's happening with the weather? Uh, yes, a fairly cloudy morning coming up, with some sunshine in the morning turning cloudier in the afternoon. Thank yes, you very much, now. Steve. Cheers. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. The more I think about what Jonathan said of having Anne Widdicombe do uh, the voiceover for a sat nav, that's definitely a money spinner, isn't it? There's, there's mileage in that. We should get in touch with her. We should sort this out. I'm sure she'd be up for it. You know, she does things like Strictly and stuff like that. She's, she has to earn a few quid. She'd do that, wouldn't she? Would you, if Anne Widdicombe was the voice of a sat-nav? Would you get that? Bet you would. I bet you would. 
The Home Secretary, Theresa May, has denied that Olympic security is a shambles. The military has been called in after security company G4S said it might not be able to provide enough guards for all the venues. The Police Federation say it's outrageous that a private company being paid nearly £300 million has failed with just two weeks to go. PC Will Riches is from the Federation's Constables Committee. Good morning, Will. Good morning. And now there are going to be thousands of police officers on duty throughout the Olympics as well. Do you feel personally let down by G4S? Do I feel personally let down? Yeah. I think the public as a whole should feel let down. This is, you said, £300 million. That's £300 million of taxpayers' money. And the public are the people who expect to have a safe Games 2012 and enjoy the Olympics safely and expect that the planning and the security operation will be slick around it. Now, all of a sudden, two weeks before the starting ceremony, there's a great big hole appeared in it. So the public should be disappointed, definitely. I'm a member of the public as well, and I'm disappointed, yes. I'll be honest, Will, with £300 million quid, I could probably sort out the security if I was given that much money. It is a huge amount of money. It's incredible. Well, obviously, I mean, you, you opened with the term about sat-navs, and what we would say is, well, the government need to make a U-turn where possible because the £300 million that they've uh, invested or, or wasted, whichever your viewpoint is, could well have been ploughed into policing, and then we wouldn't be in this debacle mm. in the first place. G4S are an established company. Am I right in thinking that they might be taking over some policing duties at some point? That's being discussed, isn't it? There certainly are discussions ongoing about privatisation of policing roles, and I think this has got to land a massive question mark on top of that argument straight away, because the public now can see that when you have to concern yourself with profit margins and shareholders, then something has to Mm. give. Police officers are public servants, and our primacy is to protect the public and keep the public safe, and that is not the uh, drive when you are dealing with pound shillings and pence and profit margins how do you think this should have been handled from the start will should it have been given to a private company what could have been done to have made this a fail-safe situation well the home office has got a handle on this and the buck has to stop somewhere because actually you know the planning has been going on the policing operation has been planned around there being this g4s and, and private companies playing a pivotal part in it all of a sudden when when one part of the machine breaks down all the other parts are now expected to backfill that now We've seen our numbers of police officers cut fund, uh, fairly, fairly uh, fundamentally already. They're going to be cut even more severely as time goes by. Well, how does that work then when all of a sudden you have to draft loads of police officers and military personnel into backfill a contractual shortfall um, when, when there aren't any police officers left? Well, can I ask, are you, are you using this as an opportunity to have a, a little pop at the government? Because there are cuts being made in the, in the police uh, service. Uh, it, it, are you using this as a chance to give them a kick in the shins? Absolutely not. This is about national security. The cuts are a, sep- a, a separate issue. It's really important to our members. The cuts are massively important, so should they be to members of the public. But today, what we're talking about is a matter of national security. The public are going to be put at risk. Do you, do you think that security at the Olympics is, is going to be compromised? Well, who knows? Because all of a sudden, since yesterday, everything's fundamentally changed. Mm. Um, yes, I suspect it will be put at risk, because if uh, we, we're hearing today that A-level students are going to be trained, what, in two weeks to deliver policing and security um, service? We're hearing um, armed forces personnel are being having their leave cancelled and being brought across to do uh, backfilling the, the role. I'm sure they'll do the best they can, and of course our members will work with them to, to make, make the games as safe as we possibly can. But if anybody says there isn't going to be an effect because of this, then they're, they're blatantly trying to mislead people. Well, are you are you suggesting that the um, the army, the military, might not be the right people for this job? Look, the the, the situation is that what, when needs must, everybody 
puts her hands to the pump and that's the way that we work in policing um we are used to making the job work making making the best that we can out of the resources we have now the military personnel who should be enjoying time off having just come back from theaters of conflict or waiting to go out to to serve their their country should they be uh, called in because some company can't mm. meet its contractual obligation i don't think so i think that didn't theresa may say that that, that their all their leave they would get it at some point so it's not like they're losing leave yeah, at some point. Well, I mean, obviously, I can only speak for my members, but I would be concerned if my members were told, at some point, you'll get your leave. Um, and this is not this is not what the issue is about for us. The issue really is is simply this: we really fear that public safety is going to be put at risk by this, and that is a real problem. Is it possible to give? people specialised training in, in just a couple of weeks that seems a very short time I, I agree with you I think that would be exceptionally difficult and, and, and possibly impossible but yesterday Ed Miliband agreed that uh, there's serious questions need asking and, and obviously we welcome his commitment to investigate this whole shambles Will thank you very much that's PC Will Riches from the Federation's Constables Committee uh, talking about the security at the Olympics you feel safe? You feel safe about it? Oh, wait, 459, 455, 555. Well, the, the, the hot topic that's grabbed your attention this morning is the chicken box. Cathy's in Chesham. Good morning, Cathy. Good morning. Can you help? We're, I think we're about to go through hell in my house. Right. There is actually calamine cream. Oh, hello. I'm back in again. That doesn't dry out. Because the lotion does... I'm right, doesn't it? It's, I mean, it's, it's 30 years since I've used it, but it does dry out and leaves, a, like, a, a, a crust on you. It dries out and it makes you more itchy. Yeah. Uh, so the there's calamine a cream, cream Have you? Well. We, we've been hearing this morning about a porridge bath. Have you ever had a porridge bath? No. That, and the last time I had chicken box, I was 22. Oh, my goodness. Did you have it badly? Yes. Because the older you are, the worse it's supposed to be, isn't it? Yes, because mm. usually you get shingles. <sighs> That's a nice image for breakfast, isn't it, Cathy? Yes, lovely. <laughs> thank lovely. you, thank you very much for your, your your tips on that, and everybody who's called in with that. It's much appreciated. <laughs> if you're enjoying your breakfast, sorry about that. We've got thirty minutes. I'd love to find someone who's had a porridge bath in the last thirty minutes. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Let's get the latest now on the roads and the, all the travel networks with Sophie Tyler across beds, hearts, and bugs. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Simon. Uh, JVS is coming up at nine and Simon Coffer is coming up midday. It's, it's an action-packed day, let me tell you that. And the action continues apace now with more on this snail story. Uh, walkers in the three counties are being asked to keep their eyes to the ground for snail snatchers. Elsewhere in the country, numbers of the snails have dropped by 70%. It's believed that people are taking them home and eating them. Joining us now is Hertfordshire wildlife expert Dennis Fennell. Good morning, Dennis. Good morning to you, Ian. You're very perky at this time of the day. Yeah, well, I'm waiting for the sunshine. (laughs) Well, you'll be waiting a very long time, I think. (laughs) I don't think it's coming now. Now, Dennis, we've heard that Roman snails are worth up to a quid each. Well, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you know, anybody that that takes one... um, deserves to get their knuckles uh, wrapped thoroughly. Um, in actual fact, you know, there's a there's a £5,000 fine and potentially six months in jail. For taking for a snail? One. For taking a snail? You can go to jail for six months? Yeah. yeah they're, you they're, are. They're protected under the Wildlife Countryside Act. 
It's thought that they were probably brought over by the Romans yeah. a couple of thousand years ago. Hence the name, I would imagine. That's probably where they got... But, but imagine that. You're in prison, right? And you're sharing a cell with some big fella. And the fella says, oh, I, you know, I did this, this, and this. What are you in for? I nicked a snail. You're not going to last very long in prison, are you? No, I, I think they deserve all they get. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 are people actually eating these snails? Is this what's going on? Is this, is well, this the problem? Yeah, I think... It, the, the, I, I, I'm, I've eaten snails on the continent, and they're, they're the farmed ones. Uh, right. Greatly overrated, I may add. Yes. Um, but what, what happens is people see these. Snail, virtually all of the snails, you know the garden snails, the ordinary brown garden snails? Yeah. Now, they're actually edible. Oh, goodness gracious. Um, yeah, right. I know. Uh, exactly the same thing. Oh, it's um, horrible. But, they, but it's, if, you, if you pick it, it's something up in the countryside, A, you don't know what it had for its last meal. You know, it, oh. may, have had, it may have had, um, you know, a highly poisonous plant, and, it, and this is sitting yes. happily in its gut waiting to go through, um, and then you eat it, then, you, you know, you stand a fair chance of, of getting food poisoning. I've, I've, I'm supposed to be here for a month. I suspect I won't be back next week after this. Why are snails protected species, uh, Dennis, Dennis, because there are millions of them in my back garden alone. Yeah, well, those are a totally different species. Right. The, 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 the uh, Roman snail, it, it's called, it has rejoices under the Latin name of Helix pomatia. I was going to say that, yes, yes, that's my next um, point. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they're quite big, they're, they're almost as big as a, as a golf ball. Wow. Um, and they are they 're habitat specific they require particular types of habitat they need they, they live on on chalk um, grassland normally mm-hmm. they don 't sort of come in and, and munch your lettuces and and sort of eat their way through the through the flower garden in fact you you the chances of seeing one in your garden are are a million to one um, so the the snails that you get in the garden are are quite quite different these are they're limited to very small pockets of of land, and it you know only takes somebody to to go in there and and start stealing them and selling them. Mm. Um, uh, because this is the big problem, of course. You know, the, if somebody happens to tread on one and kill it, well, that, you know, I mean, that okay, that's one less for the population. But when somebody scoops up handfuls and bags full and and, and takes them and, and sells them, a the person that buys them is. Um, uh, having a you know creating a criminal offence, yeah. but what is happening anyway is that you're taking something out of the environment that's been there for two thousand years, and lots of other things, wildlife depend on them. Really, why why are snails? Uh, being serious now, why are snails important in in the ecosystem? Well, they in in a normal uh, you know in a normal countryside, unlike our gardens, which are are. I've, I've actually got a wild garden, but... Um, I, th- I thought you might, Dennis. ...specifically for, for wildlife, but it's got lots of wildflowers yeah. and all sorts of things, so it attracts bees and butterflies and the like. But I don't get any problem with snails and slugs mm. because they're eating the sort of stuff they were designed to eat. OK. Now, when you, when you, you, know, you sort of kill the fatted lettuce and, and stick it in the garden, um, the snails think, oh, Christmas, and, and, and they've got all this massive soft-leaf stuff, which is how they work because their their tongues are sort of long strips of of file almost dennis snail snails don't have tongues yeah no they don't do they they do oh television program about snails about 10 years ago and i had (laughs) had it filmed on the underside of a sheet of glass 
and you can actually see this this tongue going up and down. It's it's like a strip of oh. heavy sandpaper, and it actually literally scrapes the the tissues off of off of plants. But under normal circumstances, they fit in with the environment. Birds eat them. Yeah. Um, hedgehogs eat them, you know, various different things. Even glowworms have as, as their uh, their prime food source for the for their larva um, snails. Dennis, one quick question before we go, and I, I, I could talk to you all morning because I, I find you absolutely fascinating. My, my tongue has been slightly in my cheek, but genuinely, you're fascinating. If you had to, could you eat a slug? No. Well, you can eat a slug. Yes. Um, it's like um, eating snails, you know. Uh, somebody described eating snails to me, and it's a, uh, you know, anybody that's got a, a, a gentle stomach, please stick your fingers in your ears. Um, it was described as eating hot, thick, garlic and butter flavoured snot. Okay, but Dennis, we're going to say goodbye to Dennis, but... <laughs> I'm so not coming back next week. I do... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. That's uh, Hertfordshire wildlife expert Dennis Fennell and his potty mouth. I do apologise. If you're having breakfast, I do apologise. Uh, I've got a few texts here. Morning, all. Te- talking about chamomile. Uh, we've used it on our eyes when we get an eye infection. Boil a cup of chamomile, let it go cold, take a swab, dip it in, and wipe your eye once in an outward motion. It's antiseptic and soothing. Uh, and talking about the, uh, the the security at the Olympics, um, Mrs S says, My friend worked in the security support centre for G4S. He's been telling us for months it's a shambles. They're still carrying out recruitment and training now. Security personnel are not sure where they're supposed to be or when they're being paid. I suspect loads of them won't even show up on the day, and this will leave huge holes in the security net. Uh, I heard a lot of this on BBC Three Counties yesterday and, and Radio 4. Uh, it seems to be what's happening. We'll, we'll have more of that story. As it continues, so don't worry about that. Now, do you have problems? I'm still getting over Dennis, I can only apologise. Do you have problems finding a parking space outside your house? Well, if you live in Stevenage, Broxbourne or Watford, you probably do. They're all in the top five places outside London with the lowest amount of residential parking. In St Albans, councillors are considering basing the cost of parking permits on the size of your car's engine and reducing the number of permits from three to two per household. Our reporter Justin Dealey has been asking people on Clifton Street this morning what they think about the plans. So, Ian, you've got one parking permit. Just yes. describe what it's like living here when you come back after a day at work can you get parked uh no basically any time after 5 5 30 uh there's no car park spaces they've gone so you're literally looking around the other streets for zone h which is where we are uh to see if you can p- park up it's a nightmare it must it's, be an absolute nightmare because how can you live your life like that if you're coming back late at night especially yeah. a lady on your own if you're parking five minutes away you don't want to do Walk, that do you no, you don't be walking through the streets at night i mean i think the council actually do give permits to um, other residents on other areas. Mm. Um, somebody mentioned Marlborough Place, uh, but they may rescind those. I don't know. So we here it's nightmare. I mean, we have we we purposely have one car, and it's difficult enough to park that. So the idea of reducing permits from three down to two won't affect you. You've no. only got one anyway. No. But what about the idea of of you having a green car and then being rewarded by having a cheaper parking permit? That would be fantastic. Yes, really great. Yeah. Now, you have just walked out of your front door in your pyjamas to to get yourself a car parking space because the permit situation here is so bad. Is it like that all of the time? You're literally waiting for a space and then you have to pounce. It is like that on occasion. It's not all the time, but it is numerous times. 
and you've got two parking permits, so the idea of three going down to two wouldn't affect you. But, but what's got to happen here? Because you can't keep on living your life like this, can you? Uh, it is a challenge, and I can see why it's the permits are in place. Uh, I'm on the fence, to be honest. And just lastly, if somebody said to you, if you have a greener car, if you have a, a lower emission vehicle, we're going to reduce your parking permit, would you then rush out and buy a new car? Um, very tempting, yes, I certainly consider it. Kim, just how bad is the situation here with the parking permits? You've got two. Is it really that bad? Um, it can be very bad when you come home during the day because uh, not only do we have to pay for a parking permit for our cars, um, they allow people to pay a pound and park here for an hour. And especially we have on the corner here, we have an orthodontist, so we have parents coming in, in and out all day long, buying a permit, having their child looked at for dental treatment, mm. and then as they come out, they hand the permit to someone else. Do you, we, I get offered it all the time. Would you like a permit? <laughs> and I say, well, actually, I live here, yeah, and I pay yeah. £200 a year to park here. Incredible. <laughs> so the idea of reducing it from three permits down to two per household will make absolutely no difference here uh, whatsoever? No, I don't think anyone in this street has got three cars anyway, for a start. Um, I say the biggest problem is outside people coming in. We... we, we we have to pay for a parking space, but we're not guaranteed a parking space. Excellent stuff, as always. Justin Dealey there, talking to the people on the streets of St Albans. Let's find out what's happening in the latest travel news now with Sophie Tyler. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Hertfordshire Police have launched a murder inquiry after the death of a man who was found seriously injured at a house in Hatfield. The man, who's not yet been named, was discovered at 11.30 on Wednesday night after police were called to reports of a disturbance at an address in the Northfield area of the town. The man was taken to Lister Hospital in Stevenage but died shortly afterwards. A couple from a Bedfordshire travelling family are in jail this morning after being convicted of holding two men in servitude and making them carry out forced labour. 34-year-old James John Connors is serving 11 years while his wife, 31-year-old Josie, has been jailed for four. In sport, British riders Bradley Wiggins and Chris Froome occupy the top two places in the Tour de France after an excellent day for Team Sky on stage 11 in the Alps. Wiggins leads by just over two minutes from teammate Froome after defending champion Cadell Evans cracked on the final climb to slip to fourth. The weather for beds, hearts and bucks, rather cloudy with occasional bright spells, but also scattered slow-moving thundery showers. Top temperature is 18 degrees Celsius with heavy showers on Saturday, but drier on Sunday. Coming up with the weather so bad, we'll rhythms of the world still be taking place this weekend we find out shortly it's two weeks until the opening ceremony of the 2012 olympics but a survey out this morning reckons a lot of people are still pretty cynical about the games most people think the olympics are about big business rather than local people our reporter serena farrow has been speaking to lloyd conaway from boost the organization that's helping bedfordshire benefit from the games let's project saturday the 28th of july the day after the opening ceremony the opening ceremony will have happened on the friday night everybody will feel good about it and be excited and on the saturday morning the first event is the men's cycling road race and mark cavendish is favorite to win that so the first event mark cavendish here's a scenario on the podium getting a gold medal god save the queen playing the union jack being flown and perhaps then that the momentum will start to build and there'll be real passion and enthusiasm which about about the games and i, I think that may well happen and of course, the torches just passed through beds, hearts, and books. Word on the street. Do you think people are a little bit more excited now? They're a little bit g'd up. 
Yeah, I mean, the reaction locally was fantastic. It's about turning that into, into reality, I guess. And the games, when the games come along and it's wall-to-wall television and people are going to watch events, the momentum will undoubtedly build. And, of course, we locally have Lee Water Valley, Donny Lake-ish. Is it tangible for them, though, the games? Are they going to benefit? Well, one of the things we do in Boost, and in my day job as Team Beds and Luton, which is the county sports partnership, it's about providing opportunities for people to actually participate and get involved. Not just about participating in sport, but about volunteering in sport, coaching in sport, leading in sport. And so there are lots of things going on locally to get young people uh, participating in sport, to get communities involved. And a lot of that's happening now. And then, of course, lots of people tell you stories about, well, we tried to get tickets and we couldn't get tickets. And there are huge issues for the games. But I think the, the, when the games get started, and, and the games will be fantastic, and I think, I think people will be significantly enthused. And, yeah, people have been coming up to me and saying, how can I get involved? What can I do? Um, how can I get my children involved? I'd like to volunteer. I'd like to get involved with my local club. There's, you know, I used to do sports and I'd like to get back involved in it again. There is a huge amount of enthusiasm out there. So locally, what have we got for people to get their teeth into? Well, there's lots of programmes. I mean, last Friday we had this amazing school games where we had 1,100 young people from across Bevisher and Luton participating in 10 different sports. Danny Crates was there, a Paralympic gold medalist from Athens, the guy who carried the flag in Beijing, inspired all these young people to get involved. We had a fantastic opening ceremony with singers and dancers. That's about inspiring young people to get involved in competitive sport. Then we run a young people's programme called Sport of Eight, which is about getting 14 to 25-year-olds involved in sport. We run a programme called Sport Makers, which is about getting people involved in volunteering. And then there's this new initiative that's rolling out at the moment, which is called Community Games, which is about working with villages and towns and communities across Bevershire and Luton. So if they've got a village fete or a village event, add a bit of sport onto it. We've got some funding that we can give to local communities to, to get involved. Uh, Jonathan is talking about this uh, after nine o'clock. He's asking, are you excited about the Olympic Games yet? Two weeks today. Two weeks today. It's going quickly, isn't it? (laughs) Two weeks today sees the opening ceremony of the 2012 Olympics. But a survey claims there's a continuing cynicism about the Games amongst the population. A poll carried for BBC News suggests the majority of British adults, two-thirds, think the Olympics are about big business rather than local people. Well, after a very successful torch relay in the three counties, it felt like more people are getting behind the Games, but this survey suggests otherwise. So JVS, talking about this after nine, he's asking, are you excited about the Olympic Games yet. I know that he'll want both sets of the, sides of the argument to this, so if uh, you're not sure, after nine, give him a call and have a chat with him. Um, now, where are... Oh, look at this. Yes, the rain has caused havoc for outdoor festivals over the past couple of weeks. Probably the most distressing cancellation was that this didn't get to take place. Especially for you I, wanna let I missed this. Apparently, Kylie Minogue and Jason Donovan was set to have a reunion in Hyde Park. Is that true? I didn't know that. I used to be a huge Jason Donovan fan. I remember having an argument in the sixth form at school uh, with someone. Someone was going, well, Kylie's the better pop star. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Kylie's a pop star. Jason is an artist, and he'll be around for a long, long time to come. Boy, was I wrong on that. 
Wow. But despite the muddy conditions, I think that's enough of that now. But despite the muddy conditions, thousands of people will be going to Rhythms of the World at Hitchin Priory this weekend. Kath Cole is one of the organisers and joins us now. Good morning, Kath. Good morning. Are you set for the weekend? Of course we are. We're ready and raring to go. Even with all of this weather, Kath? We're not going to let a little bit of rain put us off. It's absolutely... Uh, everybody's been on site all week. The build's going really well, and a little bit of rain won't, won't deter us at all. It's and good for you, and well done, and I'm glad. But it's, it's more than a little bit. Has, has it had any effect on, on the, the, the planning of the event at all? Yeah, we've got a lot of soggy volunteers on site, <laughs> good. I have to say. Yes. Um, but they're still smiling, which is always good. Um, we've been very lucky, actually. The, the grounds have been draining really, really well. So even when we have had some rain, um, it, is, it is disappearing pretty quickly. So that's really good. Um, and there was actually one day earlier in the week where it rained in Hitchin Town Centre and didn't rain on the Priory. Wow. So we do think somebody's looking down on us somewhere. Fantastic. What can we look forward to seeing this weekend, Kath? Well, we've got 140 acts over two days and seven stages. So Is that all? <laughs> exactly. Come on. Reckon, there's something for everyone. Um, come and see me if you don't find something you like, I reckon. But <laughs> we've got an amazing mix of sort of um, international artists. So we've got uh, reggae legend Little Roy um, and we've got award-winning Juju. So uh, some amazing sort of international talent working alongside some real great local talent. Catherine, so now I know you're not, you're not supposed to pick, but what, what's, the <laughs> thing, what's the thing that you're really looking forward to? Well, I have to say, we are really glad to be welcoming back uh, Talk Tambor, our uh, Brazilian drumming group, who uh, unfortunately missed Rhythms of the World last year. Um, and they're back with all their glory and all their fantastic carnival flavour. Um, so they're going to be a sight to behold. But there's some brilliant local talent, some brilliant young talent as well. We, we've made a big effort to get some young talent on board again this year. Um, I couldn't honestly pick. It wouldn't be fair with 140 acts to choose from, would it? Yes, you're right. Well done. Diplomatic <laughs> answer. It's your 21st birthday. How are you going to celebrate? Well, we celebrated our milestone last year of 20 years, um, and we, we were a bit partied out after that. So we're going to carry on with a, a bigger and better festival um, and just look forward to 25, I reckon. I think that's the way to go. Always looking forward, we are. Have you got any contingency plans just in case the weather gets a bit nastier? Yeah, um, obviously we're telling everybody to come prepared. So bring your wellies, bring your waterproof, and because it's Rhythms of the World, bring your sunglasses, because the sun always shines on us at some point over the weekend. Excellent. But we are working very closely with the council, um, so we've met with them several times. We've, we've checked the car parking facilities, so we are open on Butts Close um, for parking, which um, we, we thought might be a bit of a problem, but that's fine. Um, and we're obviously liaising with them uh, regularly to make sure that everything's fine. Health and safety will be on site. Um, but we're really, really confident that the festival is definitely going ahead and it's going to be bigger and better than ever before. Brilliant. Kath, have a fantastic weekend. Hope it goes well. Thank you very much. Take care. That's Kath Cole, who's one of the organisers. Uh, and BBC Three Counties will be at Rhythms of the World uh, across the weekend. So do keep listening all weekend to find out what's going on. Um, and if you go down there, I hope you have a fantastic time. Snails. It's been the big story of the day. We've got Pam in High Wycombe. Good morning, Pam. Hi, good morning, Ian. Pam, are you a fan of snails? No. Really? No, they're Why horrible not? creatures. They're, they're what, sorry? They're horrible creatures. Um, I spend nearly £50 in plants for um, vegetables and flowers. Yes. And they eat um, all, every one of my plants. So snails have eaten £50 worth of plants and vegetables in your garden? Yes. Unbelievable. And not, all, n- not only me, all my neighbours. They, they just come up by the, by the hundred. 
and I'm just listening to those people who are talking about them. Um, they're protective. If they're so protective, get a, a, somewhere and then put them. <laughs> Pam, can I ask you a question? Would you, would you go to prison for a snail? No. You, you wouldn't. You wouldn't go that far. No. Okay. Well, can you do anything to stop these snails eating your plants and vegetables? Um, I don't know what I could do. And um, probably. Um, Get rid of them because people know. Get rid of them. But Pam, listen, thank you very much for your honesty and your openness. And I know it must be a tough thing for you to talk about. I appreciate that. It's Pam in High Wycombe who hates snails. What a mixed bag we've had. Let me rattle through some of these um, emails and texts that we've got. We've got so many. If I've not read yours, I apologise. Oh, we're talking about St Albans. Phil says, in a wide-sweeping JVS-style statement, aren't all people in St Albans rich so we'll be able to afford any increased parking charges? Jonathan Vernon-Smith... Wide-sweeping statements, not based on fact. I don't know what you're talking about. My husband and two children had chicken pox together. It was so severe, my husband couldn't move his head and face was all swollen. The doctor said I was lucky I didn't get shingles, says Annie. My son had chicken pox when he was nine months old. We used calamine aqueous cream during the day, then bathed him in a vino oil just before bed. And Rosie, uh, from Gem, and Rosie says, why is to trim the fingernails of small children to lower the risk of scratching? That's an excellent idea. And the last uh, bit of the email I wanted to... to um, uh, to finish on is from Jan. We're talking um, about Billy's Wish, the foundation that's been set up. I feel so honoured to be their friend. Was very humbled to be asked to become a trustee of Billy's Wish. We need to stamp out knife crime in our town and country and make people feel safe on the streets. The future of Billy's Wish is very exciting and so positive. I'm really proud to be a small part of this. This has been Ian Lee. If my boss wasn't listening today, I'll be back next Monday. So fingers crossed. So let's get the latest travel news now. Thank you very much, Sophie. Thank you, everyone who called in today. I think I, I think we managed to get away with it, didn't we? Just about. I'm uh, going to be bathing my boy all weekend trying to ease his chicken pox do stick around though Jonathan Vernon Smith is coming up very very shortly asking are you excited about the Olympics all of that and more after the latest news and sport you're listening to BBC Three Counties Radio getting beds hearts and bugs talking this is BBC Three Counties Radio 